Hello and welcome to a special episode of Game Tour 5. My name is Steph and I am joined as always by Nikki. Hello, hello. How's it going, Nikki? Good. I am well. How are you? I am good. Um, I feel like we've been very quiet recently because we're both living. Yes. <laughs> this intro might sound a bit strange and that's because we've recorded it the second time. <laughs> I love that you always feel like you have to tell people about my fuck ups. I do, because just in case it doesn't come off all natural, I want you guys to know this. Um, you deserve to know this. You are a part of this as much as we are. It's not Steph's fault. We don't blame Steph. This is just a fact of life. Sometimes when you record a podcast, you forget to hit record. Yeah, the sole purpose of doing the thing, you forget to do it. But yeah, life yeah. has been busy. We've both been trying to live. Um, and so we're sorry if we've been quiet um, and a bit shit. But we love you and we're going to make up to do a special episode. Yes, we are very excited to talk to a special guest today who we will talk to in just a moment. Um, but for now, do we have any news, Nikki? We don't. And I think that's a blessing in 2020 because, I mean, it's a nice respite between whatever the fuck is going to happen next. Yeah. We don't know. So, yeah, no news. Again, I think maybe we didn't have news last time, which is quite shocking. But it just means that when we do have news, you will get to listen to the lovely intro and it's a treat so don't worry news will be back but um we do have something else exciting though we have a another promo and i wanted to say that we have been a bit well i have been a bit rubbish and we totally forgot that we had lots of promos to play um and we didn't because brains forget things sometimes <laughs> so we haven't we have a promo for you today by the hardly paranormal podcast so here it is hey how does bigfoot tell time i don't know how he checks his Sasquatch. <laughs> I'm Jerry. And I'm Lacey, and we're the hosts of the Hardly Paranormal Podcast, where every week we examine cases of the strange and unusual and try to find out what's really going on. Is the Black Monk of Pontefract just a trick of the eye? Could the Loveland Frogman just be a deformed iguana? What about Will of the Wisps? Poltergeists? Leprechauns? Gateways to Hell? We examine them all and more, and discuss if they're real, or if they're hardly paranormal. Catch us every week wherever podcasts are available. And remember, it's probably just the wind. What do ghosts wear to formal events? <laughs> Boo ties! <laughs> hey, I really appreciate those jokes coming in, so it's always good. Yes, I really like paranormal podcasts and anything paranormal, so I can definitely recommend that one. Um, so I guess we can move on to our next part. We can. So we are joined by a very special guest today. We're joined by the author of the upcoming Resident Evil book, Philip J. Reed. Hi, Philip. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for joining us. We're very excited. Um, we want to just kick off. I mentioned the book. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that before we start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wrote about Resident Evil for Boss Fight Books, and the book is just called Resident Evil, so Googling will be a nightmare. Um, so if you do want to find it, remember it's from Boss Fight Books and it should come up pretty well. And that's, uh, I don't know how familiar, uh, Steph and Nikki, and I guess your listeners as well, um, I don't know how familiar you are with Boss Fight Books as a whole, um, but I discovered them very shortly after their first batch of books came out and immediately became an enormous fan. And uh, it's, a, it's a huge honor not only to have a book out and to have a book about a very good game out, um, but to work with them. They're just a fantastic publisher. And even if you're not interested in Resident Evil, do check them out because they have a heck of a lineup. Yeah, I was definitely not familiar with them at all until uh, speaking to you. But then since reading your book, I've now like, I'm going to buy most of these books. 
I think yeah. you should. Um, I don't know. They're, they're all really good. Uh, we can obviously get into it more deeply, but um, you'll probably notice from mine, you have the Resident Evil content and you have sort of a personal journey and they intertwine as the book goes on. And at least for the boss fight books that I've read, and it's all but a handful at this point, they all kind of have that balance. So it's it's really interesting. There are books about games that, to me, you know, I, I didn't really care to know too much about, but the author's journey was so fascinating that I kept going. And, you know, vice versa, where maybe the author's journey didn't really hit home for me, but the stuff about the game was so fascinating. It's a really interesting blend that they have. Yeah, for sure. I was gonna say, I'm the same as Steph, like I, I didn't know much about them um, until I read your book. And I'm definitely gonna pick up a few more now, I think, because like with yours, it, it's so interesting because it's not just obviously it's about the game, you kind of learn more about that, but you learn so much information that like I never knew. I'm a big Resident Evil fan. And so I, you know, I, I found out a lot of information that I, you know, I had no idea about. And also to go on that journey is, it's it's really interesting. So yeah, I'll definitely be, uh, be checking more out. Excellent. Yeah. And they're, they're, excellent people they're great to work with that yeah. entire team there I, I could not have asked for a better experience and obviously we recommend your book as well because we read it and we we love it but also everyone else um yeah yours is yours is awesome i'm uh, I, I don't know I, I probably shouldn't be as a creative person but i think i'm fairly humble so i'm actually having trouble when i <laughs> when i do these interviews or podcasts or anything i have trouble reminding people that they should buy my book because that feels like a step too far um <laughs> what right do i have fine. to say that but uh i am yeah. proud of it and so far the the press has been really positive yeah well i mean we can tell them to go buy your book because i know we really enjoyed it and like you said it's such a personal thing and i think this podcast especially we try to touch upon that kind of thing very like a small amount but what i think i really enjoyed was just uh that kind of journey in a much more detailed and in-depth description and very well put which i feel like our descriptions are probably not so well put sometimes nikki i think that's fair to say yeah that's fair <laughs> <laughs> well in all honesty i probably spent more time writing the book than you do recording a single episode of your podcast so true it's I must okay say as well actually you've you've put some good facts in about resident evil so if i ever mention resident evil one again at any point i'll definitely be uh, referring to your book because it had had some good content for me <laughs> Uh, yeah, cite so your sources useful. is all I ask. Yeah. Oh, I will. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely recommend. Um, and we were wondering as well, obviously, just to get you to know you a little bit more. Um, have you always wanted to be a writer? Uh, let's see, probably about since age 12. Um, I would have to look it up to see what year Jurassic Park came out, <laughs> the film, because I, <laughs> I I went to see it, whatever age I was, uh, I was very young, but I went to see it and I adored it. It was the first film that I'd seen multiple times in theaters. And I wanted, once I learned that it was based on a book, I wanted the book. So I got the book and then I started to write things that were similar to Jurassic Park because that was the only book I had really ever read. Um, so I did want to be a writer. I just didn't have anything to say that it took me a while to find that. Uh, but yeah, really about as far back as I can go in my conscious memory. That's all I've really wanted to do. Of course, yeah. I think it was about 1993, the first Jurassic Park movie. Oh my God. So I was, yeah, I won't even tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it obviously hit, hit home, you know, obviously it meant something to you even as a small child. Uh, you know, by all means, if this is too much of a digression, cut it out later. But I did happen to see on 
it was on Twitter yesterday. Somebody posted a little snippet of an interview with Ben Stiller, and this was he, he was talking about working on the Royal Tenenbaums, but I think he was talking about it in like the distant past. It was probably a recent interview, and <clears throat> excuse me, he was talking about working with Gene Hackman, and he sat down with Gene Hackman toward the end of the the filming, and he said to him. You know, I, I've been wanting to say this the whole time, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. I'm intimidated by you because you're so great. But when I was a kid, or you know, whatever it would have been for him, he says I watched the Poseidon Adventure, and it it changed my life. It made me, you know, want to be in film, and it made me want to be an actor. And Gene Hackman went silent, and he says, "Oh, I remember that. That that was a money job," and walked away. And <laughs> it was. <laughs> In the comment, it was it was funny to read in itself, but in the comments, it was on Twitter. Uh, people were, you know, adding their own little commentary to that, and people were saying like, "Oh yeah, the Poseidon Adventure. What a weird choice uh, for him to bring up as something formative." But uh, you know, they said that, but more profane. Um, but the fact is, you don't choose what's formative. So if Jurassic Park was formative for me, that is mildly embarrassing to admit. But for Ben Siller, it was the Poseidon adventure. And for all of us, on some level, I don't know, we shouldn't really be ashamed of our guilty pleasures. We, we probably should feel some level of guilt, but uh, but not shame. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's uh, like similarly on that same track is like knowing people who are uh, super into film, went to uh, uni for film and stuff like that. But they, you'd think maybe their favorite films would be things like by Ingmar Bergman and those kind of just slightly more deep films. No, it's like Euro Trip or something ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's just like that's that's the movie that they want to go for, and you're like, okay, sure, that is what you enjoy. You do you. And I think that that's certainly fair. Um, it's hmm. it's unfortunate, I think, that anybody would feel the need to say, oh, um, you know, the Four Hundred Blows or Citizen Kane. You know, to single that out because they feel like they're going to be judged on their choice. And yeah. I'm sure they, they do like those films to some degree. I'm sure to many people those are legitimately their favorite films. But I, I do also think there's that kind of expectation that, wow, if I say I enjoy Jurassic Park, I will be shredded online. So I'd better say The Godfather. Yeah. Yeah. But it's that thing as well. It's like we don't necessarily have control over what is going to inspire us in, at any moment. So, you know, growing up, you could even just like play a game that, that then gets you into video games. It's a really embarrassing video game. And, you know, you don't necessarily have control over that. Like, oh, you're like, oh, I wish I'd played something really cool. But, you know, it's just one of those things where we don't we don't necessarily pick what inspires us because we don't know because we haven't seen it. So in some ways, I think you kind of almost have a lack of control to, to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's I, I don't know that, that kind of um, randomness, I think, is, is maybe the not the word I'm looking for, but the fact that had everybody been inspired by the same video game, the same book, the mm -hmm. same movie, or the same very small pool of those things, art wouldn't really grow into something very interesting. So I, I think we do need to be inspired to some degree by lesser material. And yeah. that's that's okay. Like, again, if, I, I do think there's a level of guilt to feel just because um, that's funny and you should want to do better than whatever inspired you. It, it kind of be pointless to deliberately want to do something worse than what makes you happy uh but yeah i think it's actually kind of cool that there can be such a widespread and something doesn't even need to be very good for it to hit you uh legitimately yeah agreed yeah that's really interesting 
I'm glad that we went on that tangent. Um, <laughs> Don't remember how we got there, but yeah. <laughs> I will bring it back a little bit. Um, just back to the book. So how did you get involved with uh, Boss Fight and then the Kickstarter? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not providing any kind of revisionist history here. I really fell in love with Boss Fight very soon after that first um, set of books came out. I think there were six of them in that first set. And mm-hmm. I had interest in probably two of them. And I ended up just buying the whole season because I wanted those books and whatever, I'll support these authors and I'll support this new publisher. And I fell in love to the point that I would wonder, you know, okay, so if if I were to sit down and dedicate myself to writing about one game, um, what would it be and why and what would I say? And I never really found an answer to that. I... or. I lied to you. I will take it back. I found many, many answers to that, but none that really <laughs> satisfied me. So uh, at one point I was thinking about writing about uh, Super Princess Peach for the DS. And it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't because I have any kind of deep emotional attachment to Super <laughs> Princess Peach. Like, I, I think that's just an example of um, where my brain was just going. It wasn't really focused on anything. I can grab a game and I can write a book and that obviously wasn't going to make anybody happy it wouldn't have satisfied me at some point during uh it was the year before I pitched or so so this would have been about three years ago I got back on a Resident Evil kick and I don't know how often this happens uh for either of you where there's something you love or really enjoyed or played to death and then a solid decade will go by before you ever bother revisiting it but when you do you fall in love all over again and for me that ended up being resident evil because a friend of mine uh did a video a little retrospective video about it online and it was a a funny video and it was really very good and it just kind of made me want to play resident evil again through more mature eyes and once i did i realized I, i think this is it um and i pitched it and i spoke to gabe durham who is the I'm going to get his title wrong, of course, but basically the owner of Boss Fight Books. And when we were speaking on the phone, he was evaluating my pitch. When we were speaking on the phone about that, he emphasized that back to me. He was familiar with my writing from other projects, and he said, I think this is the one for you. Uh, So that actually felt pretty good, that that clicked both on my end and on his. Yeah, that's cool. I was going to ask as well... um obviously because you know obviously it's about Resident Evil and everything have you ever done anything else that was a video game sort of inspired book or anything like that I know did you I was gonna say sort of written journalism pieces before is that right I'm not 100% sure yes um nothing in in terms of the length there's nothing comparable um but Mm -hmm. I was considering for a while well let me explain that first I guess (laughs) I I have done games journalism I've done you know interviews with developers and reviews and things like that in some cases, I really am talking about a handful of cases. I've done, you know, more critical sort of um, uh, analyses of games, and even those would be a few thousand words. And to sit down and write a book on one specific game basically was an entirely new uh, experience for me. And I, I mean that in a good way, and I also mean that in terms of I had a lot to learn, and they helped me to learn that. Um, but it was after I pitched. Resident Evil, and before they accepted it, so I couldn't really do it within that window, I had this overwhelming desire to write, it would have ended up being book length, I'm sure, but to write just this complete narrative uh, of me playing through Final Fantasy X, 
because I think I would have something to say about nearly everything Final Fantasy X does, and I still want to do that. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I would definitely... But that's the reason I haven't that. done it, is somebody <laughs> paid me to write something else. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I still want to do it. That would be cool, though. Um, so, like, with the... Um, I guess, like, the researching and stuff, one of the things you did was tracking down the original actors and voice actors. How was that? <laughs> it's... I, I hate to say this, uh, because I don't think I deserved it, but <laughs> at some point in... <laughs> The very, very early brainstorming process. Uh, after the pitch, because I couldn't guarantee I would get any of these people, um, I didn't bring it up then, but after the pitch was accepted, I sat down and I thought, okay, what would be what would be cool? I, I know what I can do. If I could do something else, though, how awesome would it be to get one person who uh, played a character in the game? And I wasn't sure how realistic that was and then i did get that one person the first person i got was charlie krislavsky who was the live action actor mm -hmm. for chris redfield and i thought oh my god this is great and you guys have have read the book if you disagree yeah. that's fine uh but <laughs> once i talked to him and i got his story i thought this is so i don't know this is so human this is it's adorable and i'm so glad i get to tell his story and after that he, he wasn't the only one i reached out to i reached out to a bunch but after that the responses started coming in and some of them were a little more hesitant than others but uh, ultimately i ended up getting every every known actor with the exception of rebecca's voice actor uh and i get into why that was in the book and um uh chris redfield's voice actor because he passed away uh, a few years ago so mm -hmm. yeah it actually it it ended up being far easier than i expected to get these people together and well, I get I get into that a little bit in the book as well, but the fact that there's so much information about Resident Evil floating around on, or so much misinformation floating around online, mm. ended up being even more frustrating because it wasn't really that hard to <laughs> to track down the original sources and get this stuff right. So I don't know how much of my irritation about that made it into the book, but I I felt a great deal of it because I I sort of thought that you know internet historians had failed us because they just sort of parrot things that were never true to begin with and yeah. really mm -hmm. if you just ask these people a question you know they'll answer it it's pretty yeah. easy yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say it was it was really interesting and um obviously correct me if i'm wrong because it's been a little while since i read the book but you got the the original voice actor for the guy who actually said resident evil <laughs> right like i did right? and i learned yeah. from him that uh he's i i thought he was just the voice actor for the first I shouldn't even say voice actor. I guess the narrator maybe for the first game uh, because he's credited there and he's not anywhere else. But he did record Resident Evil uh, and Biohazard. He recorded that for um, awesome. games zero through nine, I think, maybe he stopped oh, at 10. Yeah. And they didn't use him for everything, but they used him for many games. And it was just, it was interesting <laughs> for two ways uh, or, in two, or in two ways rather. One, of course, was that Capcom at least had some sense that this might go somewhere. So that's that's kind of nice. But two, it also shows the workmanlike approach that they took to the first game, where they realized, uh, you know, we've paid this guy some amount of money, and he's here with a microphone in front of him. Let's make him say everything. And we may never use it, but he's here and we paid him, and let's get our money's worth. And... Uh, it, I don't know. It's it's such a, a fascinating little glimpse behind the curtain that they would have had him even do that. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I definitely recommend everyone to, to have a read. And I have another question, which is, did you speak to him uh, like on the phone? And did you ask him to do it? Because I wouldn't have been able to stop myself asking him to say Resident Evil. Oh. <laughs> you know, you have made me feel so much better about myself by, <laughs> by <laughs> raising this because um, I did speak to him on the phone. Um, my hesitation there is just, uh, I'll, I'll point out that many of uh, the folks that I reached out to were more comfortable on the phone or through Skype or something. And others were not at all. And they were through email. And uh, so so both approaches are kind of in, in the book, depending on which interview you're reading. With him specifically, he, uh, he did want to do it on the phone. And I had to ask him to say it. And I yes. felt <laughs> I felt terrible. I felt completely unprofessional, and I still had to do it because I knew if I didn't, um, you know, when I'm on my deathbed five or six years from now, I would regret it. So of I course. had him. I shouldn't say I had him. I asked him to not only say it, but to say Resident Evil by Philip J. Reed, so we could use it in some marketing material. And oh, I love it. I love he, it. So this is the most wonderful thing in the world. He he didn't make fun of me. Uh, the second most wonderful thing is that uh, he not only did it, but he said, you know, this is this is the phone. You know, you, I, I know you're recording for the interview, but I, I, I'm going to record something professionally tomorrow or two days from now, whatever it was. He says, I can just send you a voice file of this actually sounding good. And he did. I don't know what to do with it, <laughs> but he was nice enough <laughs> to do that. But you've got it. And I've got it, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So even I felt unprofessional asking you to like whether he did it or not. So it's kind of like I, I it would have been hard. I can understand that because even that took. I thought, oh god, am I going to ask this? And I was like, yep, I'm going to ask this. Uh, <laughs> and that was exactly my thought process talking to him. So yeah, we are in the same boat on that. But it's okay, I guess. Yeah, you know, strength in numbers. Yeah, just be open and honest, and don't be ashamed. Yeah, you got to try, right? Yeah. Right. So. That leads me on to my next question, actually, is how many times did you replay the game while writing the book? Uh, a specific answer I, I certainly couldn't give you. It was a number of times, mm. both as Chris and as Jill, some of the uh, some of the runs through, I'll put it that way, were incomplete because all I wanted to do was maybe get to a certain point and see if things played out, if something went differently. And I, I don't I would estimate probably 10, you know, maybe it turns out to be eight or nine, but 10 is probably a fair guess. And I got to a point where the draft was complete and I submitted it. And there's a chapter uh, dedicated specifically to the voice acting where I go through and I kind of point out a bunch of pretty silly lines, either in terms of how they're written or how they're delivered. And the guy who was going through my book as sort of a an early reader, an editorial pass, but also just making sure things made sense, there was one line that I attributed to Rebecca and he wasn't familiar with the line. So he, I guess he looked it up online and he came back to me and his comment was, um, Oh, I just, I, I watched a, a playthrough or whatever. And that line is actually Jill. And I thought there's, there's no way I'm sure he's not lying to me, but I know that Rebecca delivered this line. And, uh, it was her saying, what was it? Look at those monsters. It's some very <laughs> bizarre inflection. It stuck with me. I laughed out loud, so I knew it was Rebecca. And I, indeed, I, I went back and I found playthroughs that had Jill saying that line in that spot instead. And wow. I figured out that the reason for this was that 
oh god what was it it was some totally irrelevant decision that if you make earlier in the game where you do find an item or don't find an item jill will say this line but if the opposite thing happens rebecca who is also present will end up saying that line resident evil has this really strange way of uh, playing out differently in these extremely tiny details that don't even link up to the deciding factor uh, as, as to why one thing would happen as opposed to the other. And for that reason, I ended up having to play through multiple times. And I don't think I, uh, for the most part, you know, details like that didn't make it into the book because they're they're more or less meaningless. They're just confusing more than they add any any value. But even after playing it multiple times, there was still stuff like that where somebody would read it and come back and say, oh, but it was actually so-and-so. And they're not wrong. It's just because Resident Evil can spiral in so many different directions during a single playthrough that it, it, you're still not aware of everything. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I am not super familiar with Resident Evil, but I was just fascinated by the amount of different things that can happen depending on so many other, like, pick up this one item or not. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's really strange. I can't think of anything that that happens in. And, yeah, and I, uh, I'm i sure there there are examples, of course, and whoever's listening to this right now is screaming them, but uh, yeah. off the top of my head, <laughs> Resident Evil now is the definitive example for that. It makes a lot of sense in certain ways. If, uh, you know, if you're playing as Jill and you're mean to Barry and, uh, you know, you, you have options to sort of leave him behind and do all this other stuff to him, toward the end of the game, he won't come to your uh to your support he's pissed off at you and i <laughs> validly so if you've put him in that position uh so it it does make sense that resident evil would play that sort of trick on you but yeah some of these some of the ways in which things play out and lines that play or don't play or that get attributed to different characters i i don't know what the value is but i sort of love that that happens yeah, it's definitely very interesting uh, for that one, especially with the, the, the first one. Um, do you enjoy any of the later Resident Evil games as well? I know you mentioned the remake on GameCube in the yes. book, but um, any other ones? To, to some degree, I enjoy pretty much all of them, and my hesitation is just there's so many spin-offs and such that I haven't played that I, I can't promise you I would enjoy them. But I, I've found something to enjoy in all of them, even though the approach has changed so much over the years. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's actually impressive how many times Resident Evil has performed a complete evolution of itself uh, to the point that yeah. it's, in terms of gameplay at least, to the point that it's barely recognizable as what it used to be. Um, and people have their preferences and certain people have very strong preferences and every one of those is valid in terms of what a game does or doesn't do but i find it impressive just that resident evil has survived we're about to get resident evil 8 uh i don't even i don't know if it's next year or what i don't know if they've confirmed that but soon we're going to get resident yeah. evil 8 and the fact that this thing has made it to eight plus mainline entries is astounding and i don't think it would For have made sure. it that far if it couldn't or was too afraid to uh reinvent itself yeah, and I was going to say, um, like for me personally, I'm like I've always been a big fan of one and two. Like I grew up playing them. I shouldn't have done really. Um, I don't think my dad was quite aware of the content, <laughs> but we did used to play it together. But you know, uh, it's fine. So, and then I sort of played three later on, and I I fell off a bit in the middle 
with, with the other ones because it, it felt like a totally different game. But you made a point where sort of almost like everything's come a bit full circle now, um, especially with like sales a little bit more, like we've gone back a bit to the older games. And, and I think that's really nice. And it's true, like it can it can sort of evolve and, and do whatever it wants to do, depending on, you know, like I think that's good to have that flexibility in a game, but also to, I just, I like the fact that it's gone back a bit. So I'm a big fan of, big fan of Seven. Yeah, Seven was a really interesting game. And I'm, I don't, I'm sort of surprised that eight seems to be uh, in that same style. I think it's been confirmed, unless we've been misled, that it's the same protagonist in eight, and uh, obviously picks up where that story left off. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's it's just kind of neat. Resident Evil settles into some kind of groove just long enough to, uh, I guess, do whatever it wants to do within that yeah. groove, and then it moves on. And not everyone's going to be happy. Uh, but again, I don't know. Not everyone's happy if they continue in the groove. So I, I think it's kind of neat that what they do is just whatever they think is the right thing to do. Yeah, of course. Another question I've got actually is, uh, did you ever play Resident Evil VR? Biohazard? Oh, God, no. I. <laughs> There's OK, let, let me make this clear. I, I do think it's a, a slight misrepresentation that I wrote about a horror game as though I'm brave and uh, <laughs> and not afraid of, you know, fictional things uh, because i am a i am a big baby when it comes to horror and i to some degree i think that that helps me to engage with it in maybe a different way if i were brave and it's just oh okay here are the monsters i will shoot them i will have no nightmares tonight there's not much incentive to to dig in and to want to figure out what's going on um but i am convinced that if i played resident evil 7 in vr i i would die i would just i would my heart would stop and i would no longer <laughs> exist so uh I'm, I'm gonna put that off for a few years i i can't bring myself to do it i think that's just mm. way too close to the horror yeah i i've tried it and i haven't got very far and i just couldn't function i'm normally quite good at horror games um but when you're actually inside of the game i was like no i'm done i i <laughs> It was so difficult. I'm like, I can't play this. Steph, you've played it recently, right? A little bit. Yes, um, I do have it. And I haven't got past the first, I want to say five minutes in which nothing <laughs> happens. You are literally walking through the forest. You get to the house that supposedly all the things take place and you have to open the door to the house. I, I couldn't. I physically couldn't make myself go through the door because in the VR side of things, you have to almost stick your face through the door like you know in horror games you can kind of throw open the door and like turn your head away because you're just like a controller so you just can't look at the tv in the vr you can't do that it's it's literally like you have to put your face which is the camera through the door into the darkness and it just was about enough to give me a heart attack and go i can't play this um i would love to be able to do it but it's just uh a thing i've i've said me and nikki one day we'll try and do it together through numbers and support but um <laughs> i don't know how successful that will be we'll see how far we get yeah it's, it's hard it's it's difficult yeah so we don't blame you for that um thank yeah we're on the same about, sort of, on this one thank you for that yeah exactly <laughs> we're just nope we're noping out of that yeah mm -hmm. um do you have any other favorite horror games uh from recent years or past years oh goodness um I'd have to think about past years to be totally honest because uh, yeah. I've played a few that were fairly recent that blew me away. They were just absolutely astoundingly good. And I say that not because, you know, oh, they were super scary, but more because they unnerved, which I think is the mark of like a really good horror game. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, a little 
you know, robot bunny can pop up and I'll, I'll jump, you know, and I, and I'll probably cry, mm -hmm. but, uh, it won't necessarily, I don't know. It won't necessarily haunt me after the experience. And a few recent games have, and, uh, Prey and Soma were the two that most mm -hmm. recently got under oh, my skin. Yeah. And ha have you played either of those or both of those? I've played Prey. Uh, I played Soma, so okay, together good. we have. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, together we've got it covered. Um, both of those games, I, I'm not going to go into uh, strong spoiler territory here, but both of those games give you a horrific experience, and that's fine. But along the way, it ends up not really being the monsters so much as the context and what's behind it that really sort of sticks with you and raises larger questions um, in in both cases, actually, uh, you know, questions mm -hmm. about identity and what it means to be whatever the heck you think you are. And I don't know, stuff like that, when it's done well, which is not all that common, when it's done well, that will, uh, I don't know, that, that will just sort of chill me to the bone. That will spook me in a way that uh, a scary monster on its own really can't. Mm, definitely. I think that's true of quite a lot of horror genre and other things as well. Like I always find that with like movies and stuff, stuff that I find more disturbing than a scary monster is always the stuff that stays with me a lot longer than, uh, than like seeing something creepy like yeah. a monster. Yeah. Agreed. Totally. I don't know. I think maybe I'm, I'm going to speak here, not knowing what I'm talking about. I want to make that clear, but I, I think what I'm, what I'm hearing and what I'm digesting here is that like there are two kinds of horror, and and one is the sort of uh, horror that interferes with your heartbeat. You know, it, it hits you there, and uh, the, the adrenaline just gets going, and um, you know, you you get scared in your chest. And the other interferes with the way your brain is working. And <laughs> ideally, it can trigger both of those uh, th those responses in those two very different ways. But I don't know. The ones that that hit me in the brain, I think, are the ones that I really appreciate a little more. Yeah. yeah, for sure. True. I think I think that's a nice way to kind of separate them as well. I mean, sometimes they can be together and if they are like that's that's a fantastic combination. But yeah, I think especially ones with like Soma, it kind of just leaves you this kind of uncomfortable feeling. And in, in that way, it's almost just as bad as a jump scare. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, did you I finish Soma? I did, yeah, and I definitely okay. had an uncomfortable feeling yeah. <laughs> after I finished it. It was um, weeks and yeah. weeks. I made a coworker play it, and so I finished it, and I had my experience. And, that, and then time passes because he's playing it and finishing it and having his experience. And months later, we would still just say, "Oh my God, Soma," and we would have a <laughs> a conversation <laughs> about it all over again. It it really sticks with you. Yeah, definitely. I have to check this out if I'm slight, feeling slightly brave because I'm just a <laughs> massive baby as well with any kind of spookiness. Like I find Bioshock a little bit too scary sometimes. So that's the kind of level that I'm on. <laughs> but cool. Um, well, I guess that brings us nicely round to our um, top five today. Um, we're going to be doing our top five monsters from video games. Um, these are monsters that we find really interesting or spooky or just gross or whatever. Uh, you know, our normal our normal kind of things for these. Um, so this way, because we've got uh, Philip with us today, we're going to do me and Nikki are going to split our five and then Philip's going to have his own five. Um, and then as normal, we have Beedle. Nikki, do you want to talk about Beedle? Uh, yeah, so Beetle will come in if we have any crossovers. So if we both pick the same monster, Beetle will come out. Steph will press the Beetle button, which we've now decided oh! is a thing. There it is. That only I have the power to do. 
Yeah, but I'm very interesting if we do have crossovers today. If we've, if we've both picked the same monster, so I'm excited, mm. excited for that. But yeah, it should be, it should be fun. So we get into it now, I guess. All right, then I will play the drop. What are you buying? How about a game of lucky hit? A three-headed monkey. Okay, so my uh, first monster, my number five, is going to be the janitor from Little Nightmares. I don't know if either of you have played Little Nightmares. I have not. I'm familiar with it. I I have not played it. Okay. I've Googled it though. <laughs> so, <laughs> quickly. Good enough. Yeah. Basically like playing it. Um, so Little Nightmares is um, a puzzle platformer horror adventure game. Um, you play as a little girl, small girl named Six, who wears an adorable little yellow raincoat. Um, but it's not an adorable place. It's quite creepy actually. Um, the whole game is styled kind of a bit Tim Burton-y. It's very like claymation style movement, which makes everything a little bit kind of clunky, but creepy at the same time, um, which leads itself to its monsters. Um, so the monster that I've chosen is called the janitor. Um, the janitor, I'm going to give you a description of him, um, which is not going to be great, but he uh, has very short, tiny legs, a normal looking body with kind of like a, a large head and then really, really long arms. Uh, like creepy long arms. Um, he looks kind of like he's wearing a blindfold, but actually, apparently, if you look really closely, that's actually folded over skin. That's disgusting. Yeah, he's disgusting. He's basically a really gross, blind Mr. Tickle, if you're familiar with the Mr. Oh, yeah. yeah, a horrible description of him. He's wearing a nice hat. That probably saves him from uh, a nice bowler, I guess. Um, the thing the thing I like about him, but also don't like about him, I think is his arms and the fact that he's blind. So when you're, um, you're kind of trying to move around this giant ship that you're on called the Moor, and you're trying to escape it, basically. Um, and he is one of the people kind of in your way of doing so. So he's in in control of the prison on the ship, which is basically a prison for small children. It's, it's not a very nice game. I'm sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> And he he may be blind, but the thing about him is he can hear you very well, and he can kind of smell you. Oh, which, smell you! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make a scent. <laughs> Don't do anything that'll make any kind of smell. Um, he basically at no point do I think they ever use the smell mechanic, other than occasionally, like he'll just if you're running around near him, he'll stop what he's doing and just like sniff the air, oh, like smell you. Um, but mostly it's to do with the hearing. Any mechanics in the game are around like him hearing you. Um, so if like you hit a creaky board or something like that when you're trying to sneak around him, he'll ch- he'll literally just stop what he's doing and run at you with his tiny little legs and his really long arms like floating towards you. Um, like I said, he's just really creepy, but I just kind of really like him. Um, the worst part about him is he is co- he's with you in the game for a really long time. You see him quite early on in the game, uh, just kind of walking around in the background of some of the levels. And then um, he appears again, and you kind of have to deal with him and get around him. And then he appears another time, like way, way further on into the game. So he kind of always feels like he's following you through the bottom of the ship, um, which is terrifying. 
because I just never want this person to follow me anywhere. It's just the worst thing in the world. Um, I don't know what it is. I think it's the the fact that the game has that real world texture to it. Like I said, it's a bit claymation-y. Everything feels kind of like real and that you can touch it. And that really lends itself to his kind of creepy design. In most of the monsters in this game, um, there's another one called the chef, who's equally just as gross. Um, but I think the janitor is the one that does it for me because of the speed that he moves. Oh no, you didn't say he was fast. <laughs> that makes it so much worse. Yeah, so this is the thing, like you can't just run away from him. If you if you alert him to your present, he will just run straight at you and grab you with his really long, thin noodle arms. Um, He's I feel like I'm quite scary looking. Ruining Nikki. It's a weird it's a weird game to be scared by because it's a puzzle platformer, essentially. Um and the, I think the most scary are the ones are things like Inside and Limbo and stuff, mm. which are creepy, but don't really unsettle you, I don't think, the same way that this one does. Um, so I'm not really sure what it is. But yeah, I really, I quite like him um, in a weird, horrible way. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I was going to ask if it was like Inside and Limbo, because uh, I, I don't know what it was about your description, but as you were going on, I was picturing this character in that sort of context. I, I really enjoyed those two games. I just haven't played Little Nightmares. I would definitely recommend Little Nightmares if you've enjoyed those two. It's very similar. Um, oh, okay. It takes that kind of, uh, you've got to do uh, lots of just puzzle platforming around the ship to get up to different areas. Like, And most of the time you're playing the game, and I think that's why I've managed to cope with it, with it still getting a bit of a horror stuff in it, because most of the time you are just kind of uh, navigating your way around the insides of the ship. Um, and it's a bit creepy and a bit dark, but nothing really like, there's no real jump scares or anything like that. Nothing's constantly chasing you. Um, it's just kind of like bits are looming around. Um, and the idea is you're a very small kind of, you're almost like mouse size on a ship of humans. That's kind of how it feels. So you can kind of sneak around a lot of things, uh, and do that kind of thing. But yeah, occasionally you will run into these kind of bigger creatures. And one of which is the janitor who you kind of have to get by, um, but without ruining the game, he does get his comeuppance in the end. But yeah, I wanted to make a comment on his appearance, actually. Where before you said uh, explained about his face, I've just been sort of staring at him on Google. Um, <laughs> his folded down like skin, it kind of makes it look like he's wearing a face mask. So I mean, maybe that's he's doing it. it before doing it before everyone else was. So he's <laughs> safe at least. Maybe that's all he was doing was just you know protecting himself. Maybe he did it in a weird way. Pulled his face down. <laughs> But quite extreme. Desperate times, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't recommend doing that. Um, but oh, wow, it does yeah, look like a does face look mask. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Skin. Face mask of skin. Oh, I hate um, it. There's not really much else to say about the janitor. Because um, he doesn't really have too much of a history or story to him. You don't really ever find out too much about um, why you're on the ship or any of the kind of people around it. Um, it kind of just drops you in the world and kind of lets you explore. Uh, there is a sequel coming out, I think, maybe later this year, maybe next year. Maybe they'll go into more of it then. Um, but the only fact I found was that due to a data mine search in the game's files, uh, they discovered that the janitor's name is Roger. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, you might not be so scary with a name like Roger now. No, that's not a scary name. Yeah. Hey, I don't think we've um, ever had like a, a serial killer mass murderer named Roger. Oh, yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Rogers are, are gentle people. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> they just want to hug. That's what the long arms are for. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe he doesn't really just want to eat me, but it's fine. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> way to demonize uh, an innocent man. Oh, sorry. 
Oh no! Oh, <laughs> like no, sorry, Rog. <laughs> it's been taken. Cool. Uh, um, yeah, so that's my that's my number five. Uh, that means uh, Philip, we're on to your first one. Your number five. My number five. Uh, I, I I can probably say this with confidence. I I think this selection has the scariest name of anything that mm-hmm. we're going to get into, and we'll find out if that's wrong. But uh, my number five is. Boo, from Super Mario Brothers. Nice. <laughs> so, um, he, if anyone doesn't know, I, th- I think most people probably do, but if they don't, uh, boos are little round ghosts uh, who populate Mario levels, and their main gimmick is that as long as you're looking at them, they stay still. Uh, if you turn your back, they approach you, uh, usually fairly slowly, but um, relentlessly, and they will phase through obstacles, uh, I'm pretty sure it's always a direct approach, um, which in itself I do think is really interesting. And part of what makes them so memorable, it's the fact that you sort of trigger their AI. They, they don't do anything at all while you look at them. Like, you know, a switch has been turned off, but the moment you turn away, they start behaving. And that gives you as a player, this sort of element of control, which is interesting in itself, but I think also makes it kind of scary because you are responsible for any of the bad situations you get into involving a boo. It's because you did not manage it well enough. Um, and I remember the first appeared in Mario 3, and I remember as a kid, uh, I don't know if I read about them beforehand in, in Nintendo Power or I saw them first in the game, but whenever it was and I learned how they behaved, I remember thinking, uh, okay, so what? I'll just keep looking at this thing until it's safe for me to run away. And I am now several decades older than that, and that has never worked because <laughs> they always give you multiple boos from different angles, or they give you other hazards or obstacles or enemies. There's there's always something else that you have to respond to. And while you focus on those things, the boos just sort of quietly and slowly close in. And especially in the 8-bit um, era, I think that's God, that's about as good to actual effective horror as uh, as you would get. Um, yeah, in, in Mario 3, where they started, I think they're just kind of anywhere because Nintendo, it's a very good game and it is very well designed, but I think they were also still kind of figuring out what they wanted to do. Uh, but mm-hmm. starting with Mario World, they tended to occupy things like ghost houses or very specific haunted areas. And immediately, just because I love the Boo so much, um, those became my favorite Mario level type. Awesome. Yeah, I have to say, like, it's weird, and I think this probably is more about my um, level of horror that I can take, but I did used to find the booze quite scary um, as a kid. Like like you said, they just kind of quietly go towards you, and they're always just kind of grinning at you at the same time. Um, yeah, they're just... Yeah, those teeth. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't know how ghosts have teeth, but I think that's unsettling for me. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I'm going to rocket this one up to my number one pick, I think. Um, <laughs> the <tea laughs> that in mind, it. yeah. The I agree, though. They were they were scary to me as a kid. And, you know, not, again, not to the point that I'm I'm having nightmares about a boo, mm. but because I'm, I'm playing Mario and, you know, the music is cute and everything is lovely and I'm having a fun time. And then this thing <laughs> just sort yeah. of changes the way that I need to play and what I'm focusing on. And 
it's it's interesting thinking back to that because I can actually feel my heart speeding up a little bit. Like I had this <laughs> visceral reaction to the booze, and it's it, it's funny, and I, I I don't think anyone would say, oh my god, they scare the hell out of me. But um, thinking back just on what they did and how effectively they did it, yeah, that was pretty darn good for the NES. Yeah, definitely. And actually, now you say that, if you compare them to the rest of the like monsters or enemies that you uh, encounter in Mario World, everybody's quite cute. Like Goombas are pretty cute. Like all the turtles are cute. Like piranha plants aren't that bad. You know, they're just a plant. But boos just have a little bit more menace to them, I think, than anybody else. They do, and it's it's interesting that you say that um, because when I picture Mario, and not everything, of course, but you, you picture um, smiles on enemies, and sometimes even like background objects, and the booze smile. But with them, yeah, there's there's it does not seem to be a, a smile for a positive reason. It it does mm-hmm. seem to have menace behind it, and the fact that they could pull that off with such simple sprites, uh, I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Actually, like I was gonna say, it's, it's almost about what sticks with you as well. Like, especially like back then, you know, we didn't have the 3D graphics we did later on with like PS1 and stuff. And and if something like that sticks with you, then you know it's like it's fucked you up somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's worthy. I've, and that's a worthy monster. I've been telling my therapist about booze for <laughs> <laughs> longer than I care to admit. It, yeah, it does kind of stick with you. Um, yeah and i do have facts i did my best awesome yay (laughs) did my best to get facts for these so the first one okay in my notes it says in the western localization i don't know maybe europe actually got a different english translation than north america i'm just realizing now that might be the case but for us at least in mario 3 boos were localized to be named boo diddlies uh in reference to the musician bo diddley and what do these boos have to do with Bo Diddley? As far as I'm aware, absolutely nothing. But <laughs> but it's interesting to me, like looking that up, it, it was interesting to me because um, it, also in Mario 3, we introduce Bowser's kids, the eight or nine Koopa kids, and they're all named after musicians as well. So it feels like some kind of, I don't know, half measure uh, to integrate a kind of musical theme to the characters in this game. Um, I... I don't think it went any further than those, but it's, I don't know, it's odd enough to me that many of them, for whatever reason, were named after real-life musical figures. Yeah, I've never thought about that, actually, but you're right, like, a few of them still kind of keep their musical name. Like, one of them's called Ludwig, right? I think still? Um, Oh, that may have changed, but at one point at least, yeah. Ludwig, I think, was the one with the, the big blue hair. Mm, yeah, that's the one I'm picturing. <laughs> but you know, I wonder if they just went, oh, we need to rename these to something to localize them. Should we just pick a theme? And they just went with music. It could be. I, I'm not opposed to this. Like, if, if that was their thought process, okay, I'm, I'm in total support. I still don't understand it. <laughs> just why? why yeah, <laughs> right. It, it yeah. could have been, I don't know, it could have been actors or something. And I'm not saying that would have been better or more appropriate, but it's interesting to me that for whatever reason, they, they just went whole hog with uh, musical figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I never knew that one. So that was fact number one. Fact number two. In Super Mario Odyssey, the most recent major uh, Mario game, there are no boos. And... I did notice this while playing it, and it was disappointing to me. I really enjoyed the game, but 
I like booze. I like them so much. I like the ghost houses. Every time I play a Mario game, I want to see how they're executed this time. And they're not in there. Um, But my real fact, well, I'll pose it as a question. Prior to this, what was the most recent non-spin-off Mario game that did not have booze? Are there any guesses? Oh, I like a good impromptu quiz. Um, Um, I want to say, I think they were in Galaxy. So I'm going to go back. I don't know. uh, Sunshine? I never really played Sunshine, so they might be in there. I'm going to go with Steph's answer. I'm just going to cheat. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's fair. Um, But it is not accurate. You actually have to go all the way back to um, Super Mario Land for the Game Boy in 1989. I'm pretty sure we spoke about that last episode, actually. (laughs) I I didn't want to call you out on that, but if you're going to call out yourself, (laughs) I think that's fine. You never know. Nikki, your own pick. I know. Uh, and then my third and final fact for the booze, this is the last fact in existence about booze, is uh, for years I had heard this. And this kind of goes back to my Resident Evil thing about um, people spreading misinformation or mis- or information that's not quite complete and just saying, okay, that's it without looking into it. Well, I looked into it because what I had heard for many years was that um, Shigeru Miyamoto based the boo on the wife of one of his colleagues, uh, who allegedly, you know, she was very shy, but she had a a strong temper if you got her upset. And that's just something people said. So I thought, let me see if I can validate this. And I did partially validate it because um, Miyamoto himself didn't uh, base the boo on that. Uh, His colleague, the one who was was married to this, to this horrifying woman, I guess. Uh, he, he did it himself. So I found an interview with Miyamoto in an old Nintendo Power magazine, and he says, uh, it was Takashi Tezuka was his colleague. He says, Mr. Tezuka got an idea about putting his wife into the game. His wife is very quiet normally, but one day she exploded, maddened by all the time he spent at work. In this game, there is now a character who shrinks when Mario looks at it, but when Mario turns away, it will grow large and menacing. So ultimately... Ultimately, that origin seems to be correct, but it was not Miyamoto who based it on. I wonder how this woman. she feels about this. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think about that, but that could definitely go either way. It's like, okay, cool, I'm in a video game forever, but also it's not a very she, nice picture. She probably got really excited thinking she's going to be this really awesome, like, cute, like cool character. <laughs> and then she's like, oh. Look, honey, it's you. <laughs> Yeah, that's. Uh... You're gonna be a princess or something, and then you're just like. <laughs> oh my good! Yeah, it's the closest thing to a demon that has ever been featured in a Mario game. It has fangs and it's bloodthirsty. Wow. So yeah, I'm sure she was very flattered. Oh, the menacing uh... thing that gives children's nightmares. Here you are. <laughs> this is you. Wow, that's a great fact. That is good. Oh, amazing! Oh, uh, I guess that means. Um... We're on to Nikki on number four. Yeah, so my number four is a bit of a weird one. And I'm aware that not everyone would have played this game. But it is a game that I played quite recently. I actually streamed this game on Twitch. We had good times with it, despite the nightmares that it caused. Um, so my pick is the Virginias from the game The Forest, which came out in 2014 by End Night Games. So most people might not know what I'm talking about when I say Virginias, but I called her the Spider Queen. Um, they are basically creepy mutants that can be found in caves and will spawn above ground. But to give a bit of background, the forest is, the best way to describe it is it's like a survival game. You've crashed, landed on an island, somehow survived, no one else did. 
apart from your son, potentially. And, you know, you're just trying to survive. You're sort of Tom Hanks on Castaway and you think everything's fine. This is a lovely island. Just going to get some coconuts and set up camp. And then you start to hear weird noises. Uh, you start to see people and they are not normal people. They're obviously cannibals. Um, and at that point you find out that they're also mutants. And, you know, you're not, you're not having a good time. So, but then... <laughs> make matters worse you start to see these other kinds of mutants and these are mutants are a little bit more complicated uh, there's one called armsy he's quite terrifying but the worst one of the bunch and the one that's made my list is the virginias and the reason being in the name spider queen it's basically six-legged uh lady with lots of arms which is sort of flying around the place her legs are formed like spider legs she's all like it's all human parts but in a spider form with like a head on top. And she just struts around the island, basically. If that doesn't terrify you, then I don't know what does. <laughs> she, I didn't realise she had an actual name just because you've been called- Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> forever. You don't really know. I think potentially you find out later on in the game, which obviously I think I was too panicked to actually read at this point. You find out all the names of the mutants. But yeah, I just called her Spider Queen because um, you know, it just has that kind of spidery feel about her. But, um, Seth, I know you watched some of this, but Philip, did you ever um, play or hear about the forest? <laughs> no. Um, and as you were describing this horrible abomination, I looked it up and this thing is terrifying. I, I wish yeah. you hadn't mentioned yeah. it because <laughs> my life was a little easier <laughs> so not knowing about this thing. I know, right? So was mine. And my life on the island was, was going so well until this point. <laughs> And I think the the thing about the forest that they, it did so well was I had no, I mean, I don't know if anyone else, unless you've heard about it before, you just don't know what's going to happen. And suddenly just to see this like across the field where you've set up your camp, just, just walking along, just fills you with this utter sort of confusion and dread. Confusion as well, because you're kind of like, this makes no sense. How did this happen? I'm not going to give any spoilers away. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just so... It's the most grotesque and unsettling thing I've ever seen in my life, to be honest, just to put it lightly. I think it, anything that's fleshy yes. is always a little bit more disturbing than, I don't know, if I had mm. fur or something. Yeah, and it's, it's the spider reference as well, because I'm not a huge fan of spiders. They do creep me out. Um, and so to have basically a spider human is quite possibly the worst thing in the world. So they really hit it on the, on the head with this, to be honest. And she does also sprout one of the other bad enemies of the game, which is the squid babies, as I call them. But they're effectively like little squirming baby-like... I don't even know how to describe them. <laughs> <laughs> they they appear and there's like, there are like hundreds of them and they just, they launch themselves at you. So in that way, I guess she is quite like a spider because obviously when spiders have babies they produce like a lot of them and they don't tend to throw themselves at you but i guess i can see where they're going um she also makes skittering noises like a bug or a scorpion when she moves or like if she attacks you because i forgot to mention that she will attack you um and i think that's something quite scary and also she does this thing which really unnerves me which is i don't know if you see when like spiders lift their like front legs or i don't know if their legs exactly but if they're like front little feeler type things to like attack, it's like their attack stance. She does that and that just, that sends me, oh. <laughs> Having flashbacks right now, just sitting yeah. there. Yeah. Um, also another weird gross thing that she has, well I shouldn't say it's gross because 
she's a lady at the end of the day, but she is the only mutant that has visible genitalia. She basically has everything on show, a very large thing going on there, um, which is, I don't know why, it just, it creeped me out more because she was naked. I'm not normally afraid of nudity, but it was just quite a lot to look at. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a special case looking at it. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going to mention that, but look, I, I did it. I did it. Um, I've got a couple of facts, but they're not really that good. I, I couldn't really find that many facts for her, more just about the game. And so I'll just mention a couple of those, which was that um, the forest itself was inspired by cult films such as The Descent and Cannibal Holocaust. But I think that The Descent is one that is, is quite similar because... The Descent is a terrifying movie, and it definitely makes you feel like you're in you're in The Descent. It's not a good place to be. Yeah, it's worth saying you find most of these things inside caves. the caves and stuff yeah. that you find on the island, right? Yeah, which is not um, not where you want to be when you come face to face with the Spider Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing as well was that uh, so they're, they're a Canadian-based developer at Night Games. They have said that uh, that Disney was an inspiration for the game. Commenting that they do not want the whole game to be entirely dark and depressing. Well, I ask you, and Night Games, what part of this game is like Disney? <laughs> There's nothing Disney about this game. Yeah, I was wondering what song Virginia sings. <laughs> what? <laughs> just Maybe just around the riverbend. Haunted, <laughs> <laughs> just go. Oh my. Okay, they they are welcome to cite Disney, and I have not played this game. But looking at this and listening to you talk, uh, well. The moment I looked at this, I immediately thought, this looks like a Silent Hill monster, not like yeah. a, a specific one. But if you told me there was a cancelled Silent Hill game and this was one of the beasts, I would have believed you. Um, but when you were talking about the nudity and how usually, you know, okay, big deal, it's nudity, but here it's unnerving to you. I, di- I agree with you. I don't disagree at all. But I think that that might also be why it's bringing Silent Hill to mind for me, because this seems like... I, I, I'm not even going to try to say this as a joke. I mean this sincerely. I am not trying to put anything on the developers, but this looks like, I don't know, the manifestation of somebody working through some issues. And if it were a Silent Hill character, I think that would potentially fit very, very well. It's just, man, this thing is made to be analyzed. For sure. Yeah, it's it's very messed up. A lot of the monsters are incredibly, incredibly messed up. And I, I agree with the Silent Hill reference as well, actually. I've, I've always been a big fan of Silent Hill and the monster design. And um, and they definitely captured it there. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm calling End Night Games out. I'm asking you what part of this is, is Disney? We'd like to know. Because um, it seems pretty, pretty messed up. It's a fantastic game, though, and I would highly recommend um, anyone that's into like survival horror. Uh, but just beware that you will be faced with with shit like this (laughs) (laughs) you've had your warning yeah and that's it really i've not really got many facts some of these i found really hard to get facts on um but yeah so that's it that's right cool uh i think we're on to your number four my number four is actually a pretty good follow-up i think um because we are talking about something else that is human enough and it is naked and it makes horrifying sounds um so this is my resident evil pick this is the regenerator from resident evil 4. awesome yes um and i almost talked about this in our introduction when we were going over the book but i knew i'd be able to get to it later four i know i'm in the minority on this because i've I've received a lot of abuse online but um four is actually my probably the scariest one in the franchise to me and 
I know that that's not common. People tend to see Resident Evil 4 as being more action-oriented, and that's entirely true. But that's kind of why it is scarier to me, whereas the earlier games uh, relied on puzzles and um, thinking your way through things. You were always in physical danger, uh, at, at least in theory. You know, Maybe it was an illusion or something wasn't really as strong as it looked, but you always knew you might not make it out of this situation alive. However, in theory at least, if you were clever enough to solve the puzzles and get the keys, you can get out. And here in Resident Evil 4, at least starting with Resident Evil 4, I should say, Brawn was a much larger part of that equation. And uh, I, I do not have... <laughs> I'm not going to say I have much in the way of brains, but I have more brains than Brawn. So with Resident Evil 4, the balance shifted, and I am immediately now in a situation that I have no chance of surviving uh leon might if someone else is controlling him but me this is a horrifying terrible situation to be stuck in knowing you have to fight your way out and the regenerator is probably the most unnerving example of that because uh, it's obviously it's so gross and it has these big teeth that are sort of um they're more like needles they would not be very functional at all as teeth but they're they're terrifying uh, for the sake of being terrifying, which I think is very rude of the regenerator. Uh, it wiggles around and looks sort of like a big gray sausage, and it <laughs> it shivers and twitches. And then if you, you know, you could shoot him to pieces, literal pieces, and he will grow his limbs back. It's absolutely chilling to me in a way that doesn't get old i think every resident evil monster at some point has you know made me jump or squirm or feel uncomfortable but this thing probably as much as it did on day one still worms its way under my skin um and you had uh you had mentioned earlier with resident evil 7 in vr you can't really look away from the screen as a way of softening the horror and you can with resident evil 4 except with the regenerators, because the way to kill them, you have to zoom in with this scope and find these little parasites that are inside them and shoot them. So instead of averting your gaze, they make you look at this thing in great detail. And I absolutely hate it. I cannot, I mean this in a good way, um, but mm. man, I cannot stand the regenerator. Oh yeah. I, um, I didn't play it. See, I'm always ashamed of this, but I never really played Resident Evil 4. I've seen it sort of over the years and I really want to, it's one of those ones that I really want to play, but I do know what the regenerators are like and I've seen them and I have to admit they are quite terrifying. It's their stance as well. They have a very proud stance. <laughs> I don't know what, and it's quite like looming and there's something about the way they sort of shuffle around. Yeah, I'm not into it. No, nor should you be. I'm, I'm glad to hear no. you're not into it. <laughs> it's like, that's the man for me. <laughs> And, you know, no judgment. It's just I'm, I'm more comfortable if, uh, if, if I you'd rather not have it in your life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have some facts on the regenerator. Not not many on this one. But um, so you mentioned you knew what the regenerator looks like, and you're describing him accurately, so I'm sure that's correct. I don't know if you know slightly later in the game, it's not very much later, you come across a variant called the Iron Maiden, which is basically the same oh, thing, yeah. but he has... Uh, well, I, I say he. I guess if it's the Iron Maiden, it might it might be female, but this the creature has spikes all over it now, and that's really the only difference. It's not much scarier, but it exists. And while looking into that to see if there were any facts about the Iron Maiden variant specifically, there weren't. But I learned that the torture device that it's named after 
is also known as the Virgin of Nuremberg, which I didn't know. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, that is, that's my first fact. I don't know if you have anything to add to, add to the Virgin of Nuremberg. Uh, I just want to say the Eye Maiden is, is, oh. I'm, I'm just looking at it now. It's, uh, there's some spikes. That's a quite yeah. a porcupine move. It, I think they really just decided, hey, what would make the regenerator even scarier? Oh, I know. <laughs> a fuck ton of spikes and it worked. It did, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. By all means, like, I don't mean to to uh, detract from their accomplishment on that. They definitely made this thing uh, even less pleasant to look at. Yeah. Um, so we got that. The Resident Evil wiki says two very strange things, and those are going to be my other facts. Just the fact that the wiki is strange, and <laughs> <laughs> the wiki says specific to the Iron Maiden, it says. These spikes are strong enough to kill a human opponent should they be grabbed and forced to hug the Iron Maiden. And I do not oh. think that is a fair use of the word hug. I, I... <laughs> I think that's fair. Although it does, like, it does bring up our point again that maybe all of these creatures might just want a big hug. Like, like right, Paul? Rock, <laughs> we just demonize somebody that just secretly love and yeah, never. With the, with the Iron Maiden, I'm not sure it can be defined as a hug if it's going to be, you know, causing death. <laughs> I, Imminent I, death. Yes, I think that that's fair. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody would be okay with that. Yeah, this It's a hug that's so important to me that I'm willing to give my life for it. But I, I don't think that's going to be many people. So I, I just, I found that very strange that they didn't say, yeah, you know, if pressed into the Iron Maiden or if speared by the Iron Maiden, a hug grabbed or yeah, <laughs> literally <laughs> anything, <laughs> anything other than hug, please. Um, and the other weird thing, this is my third fact, but the other weird thing on the Resident Evil wiki, it mentions the Iron Maiden and the Regenerator. It mentions both of them as being extinct. And I also oh. don't think that is a fair word for a man-made abomination. Like, yeah, it, that's true. I'm not sure it made the species list. No, if something is manufactured, maybe you just say it's it's discontinued, or you know, I, I don't know. There, there, extinction implies to me that the natural order of things was interfered with in some way, and it, it, it's a tragic term. Extinction means like, yeah, the species is gone. We will never see this again. Um, but I I can't really accept that in this context. So I don't know who writes the Resident Evil wiki, but call me after class because we have we, <laughs> we have things to discuss no this does bring up a thing of like i really like the idea of like a uh, richard attenborough but for the resident <laughs> evil world just documenting all of these creatures that he's finding like he's just stumbled across this place thinking it's some sort of like Madagascan Galapagos <laughs> Island. <laughs> He's just slowly documenting and then finds out they've all gone, like all the regenerators, all the Iron Maidens have died out. He's like, oh, I've got a mark. I've got to get my extinction stamp out and put that one for those guys. <laughs> Such a tragic loss. I actually, I really like this idea. Um, in a few years, <laughs> if I steal it for YouTube or something, just please take that as a compliment. Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> I, I think that's actually a really good idea. Make like a Pokemon Snap game out of it, like go around. That was good. That was a good fact. But yeah, interesting, interesting wiki language. I think that's always a fun, fun discovery. Actually, I think when we're doing these lists, is uh, interesting facts, but made funny yeah. mostly because of weird language. 
Cool. I do have more so word what... language to come, but that is it for the regenerators. <laughs> awesome. That was a good pick. Good pick. Mm -hmm. Steph, are we onto your number three? No. Four. Nice. Three? I no. Don't, I don't know. Three. We're on our three. Okay. <laughs> I think. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, my number whatever this is is um the necromorphs from dead space um i don't know if you guys either if you've played dead space i'm looking it up right now i i think i know exactly what you're talking about yes these things this is a very yeah they're, very the, main, good choice. Um, they're yeah. the main creature monsters in the dead space franchise um Dead Space, if you've not played it i'll give you a quick kind of thing of it it is a uh, third person survival horror game I think it originally came out on the 360 and the PS3. I think there's now three in the series. I have only really played one because I couldn't bear to even really finish one. Um, and these monsters, I think, are probably most of... In fact, they're like the complete reason why. Um, it is a very interesting game. Um, but the Necromorphs are the main creatures. They're kind of like space zombies. They're mutated and reanimated corpses. They're kind of like fleshy, pink, translucent things. Um they they change a lot so necromorphs is kind of like a umbrella term for like specific there's lots of different specific types of them um they're kind of their main point of existence is to acquire more bodies and convert them to spread infection so yeah it's kind of like a zombie kind of feeling thing um think of things like the flood from halo or the many from system shock 2 that kind of you get the kind of impression of what they're trying to do to themselves um I'll give you some quick story about the first Dead Space. And as I was going through this, I realized how similar the gameplay is probably to Resident Evil, as, you know, typical games tend to lend each other a lot of stuff and build on it. I think Dead Space is a very good impression of that. Um, you start off um, finding out that a mining planet um, is being mined by a ship called the USG uh, Ishimura, in which the main whole game takes place on the ship. It sends out a distress signal. And the company that owned the signal send out another ship called the uh, USG Kellyon to investigate. Uh, Isaac Clark, who is aboard the ship, who is your main person that you play as, um, as you're kind of boarding the ship to go and find out what's going on, you have a docking incident, some kind of accident that forces you then to be stuck on the uh, ship that you went there to save, which is always a useful thing to happen. So you kind of get stuck there. And then very soon after landing, um, your crew are, get attacked and then you will kind of split up. I think two of your crew members die. Two of them survive and run off in one direction. And you're kind of forced to run off on your own. Um, and that's kind of how you spend the most of your time on the ship. is just wandering around by yourself. Occasionally meeting up with the two that survive. Um, and trying to come up with a plan of what to do. Um, all the while trying to investigate what has happened on the ship. And why, um, why the mining stuff has happened. Uh, and all the while fighting off the necromorphs. Um, I think the worst and the most common, not the worst, but the most common necromorph is uh, called a slasher, who um, has these like long arms. He's basically very like humanoid shape, but his arms are really long and like a uh, kind of like a bladed two arms. And he's probably the most common one that you find constantly. And he's just pretty creepy. Um, like I said, there's lots of different kinds. But they're all kind of based as a human, but there's also ones that base animals together and then they just kind of smush themselves together and make a new thing. So oh, the main kind, ones... of, kind of like Spider Queen a little bit. Yeah, a little bit Spider Queen. Yeah. yeah, there's quite a lot of them. So there are ones with tentacles like Spider Queen. There's also ones like toddlers, 
like the babies that she gives out. There are also pregnant ones and exploding ones. There's a whole giant list of, that mm. go through the entire game. Apparently there's one that stalks you in the second one that's just awful. Um, I think the worst thing about them is that unlike normal zombies where you can, you're just kind of directed to shoot them in the head and that's it. You're kind of done with it. That's you're kind of good, you're safe. But this one, with the Nevermores, you have to dismember them. So you have to shoot off, like, arms, legs, and then bodies and stuff to completely dismember them until they will stop coming after you. Um, so it's not just, like, a case of using one piece of ammo and just being good at shooting. You've got to, like, really, almost scientifically, aim at certain areas to, like... Oh, it's just the worst thing, especially when one jumps at you and it's kind of going towards you and you're just kind of, like firing randomly doesn't work you've just got to think about it and the time frame that that takes you to try and think about this is just oh they're just horrible it's a horrible <laughs> game like i want to recommend it for anybody who really likes being scared um because i can just barely make it through like i don't know what what made me want to play this game knowing how much of a baby i am but i did it and i was gonna say i'm surprised because i couldn't when i was younger i couldn't get through that's why i haven't played it very much yeah um, i think this is why i played it when i was much older so it's only really more of like a recent thing um i'd say within the last couple of years that i've played it um but like i said i can barely get it through i have to do it in very short chunks to deal with these things um but the the general story of the game is really compelling like i said it's got very similar vibes to stuff that was going on i think with um I guess Resident Evil, not completely. Um, the thing you kind of find out, and I won't spoil the game entirely, but you find out there's lots of stuff to do with a cult that was going on and they're trying to find markers and it develops into this whole big thing, apparently, like the further into the games that you get and it kind of gets bigger and bigger. Um, but the first one, because it's just confined to the ship and you're just trying to do a lot of stuff on this very small ship, it's got very alien vibes, which actually ties into one of my facts for it is that um, there's a lot of comparisons between the necromorphs and the xenomorphs from the alien franchise because of the whole uh, alien side of things but then they also uh, move through vents on the ship um, yeah they're just they're very similar but not in the same time uh, but they have that same feeling of just not, not, really not your kind of aliens not my kind of aliens not yeah not my kind of aliens well put Steph normally yeah. likes aliens quite a bit so this obviously must have hurt you yeah this was normally normally aliens and my friends and uh, in some Mothers. games romantic partners but in this game no I don't think I would yeah, for these guys I'm afraid um, good to know yeah I will I say top five monsters I would not date. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, man. I think we did make those lists. Um, yeah. With the uh, the necromorphs, I you, you'll have to forgive me, Steph. I I don't remember if you said you had finally finished the game or had not. I never have, and the reason is, well, the reason is something I really like. I love the dismemberment mechanic. I think that that's a really clever twist on sort of you know the zombies and it's it's justified by the game the fact that they're not traditional zombies all of that it's wonderful but it requires a presence of mind that i i cannot retain while being scared and i'm <laughs> sure the game knows that and i'm sure the game is deliberately playing with that but it it prevents me from really making any significant progress in dead space whatsoever yeah, no, that's exactly um, how I feel about it. It just takes, you need to be calm 
um, almost when doing it because you need to have to, like you said, you need to have to the mind capacity to think, right, I have to aim here, now here, right. uh, now here, to, to where, rather than me in blind panic seeing a thing and going, oh God, oh God, like I'll just shoot at it and run away until like, I can't run anywhere. And yeah, it's, 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 it's really scary. But I think that's why I really enjoy it. Like I know I'm a big baby and I really struggle, but yeah, I've never managed to get too far. Like I've played it quite a lot, but I don't think I'm very far through it in a weird way. Like I've feel like I've discovered a lot about this game, but not really ever going to finish it just because I'm like, no, I can't. There's just, I know it's just going to get worse and worse. And eventually you kind of get used to some of them and then a new one, new type of necromorph appears at you and you've just got to start thinking about it all over again. So yeah, I'm with you. It's a, uh, it's good. It's a really nice mechanic, but really difficult. Um, really difficult to deal with. Um, but the nice thing is from a, um, I think I've mentioned it before, but from a nice work perspective on user design, it's got one of the coolest like HUD uh, ideas in a game in the fact that your health bar and stuff is on your character. Um, so it's, again, that's another thing about it is that you're so in the game because yeah. it takes away any of that extra like user interface stuff from you um, and just puts it in the game, which means you have to be constantly in there. Even when you're opening up your menus and stuff, you're still in the game. It's still something that um, he, Isaac himself, is looking at with you. So you're never really safe. You can't just oh, hide behind the board menu. It's amazing from a from a work perspective. Is, I'm like yeah. love with it. But from an actual I have to play this game perspective, no, it's the worst thing. I yeah. can't hide. Pausing games for me is always the saviour, and I think especially from a young age. This is a bit of a random tangent, but growing up, like I could tell that I play too many video games because if I ever had a nightmare as a child, I would be able to um, actually get out of my nightmare. Some people would do it by like escaping out of a door and then you'd wake up or something like that. But I would always pause the game in my dreams or my nightmares and click exit and then I'd wake up. Clearly my parents should have not let me play as many games as I was playing. But that's, and I don't really get it as much now, but I, I had that and it was so weird. So for me, that is just another reason that I shouldn't play this game because if I can't press pause and exit, then I'm doomed. That is so fascinating. I. I've never heard anyone say that before, and I'm not trying to, you know, single you out for ridicule. But I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering how common that is, or maybe will become, because now I'd love to know. Yeah, like yeah. games as we know them, they've now been around long enough that you know people are entering adulthood who have never lived in a world without video games, and I ju I just wonder. You mentioned uh, a lot of people will escape a nightmare because they escaped the monster, they ran out of the house, whatever, they locked themselves in a closet. For me, it's because the monster got me and killed me. But um, <laughs> those are all things that they make sense because people understood how, let's see, th th those were true to the filters of how we perceive the world. And now, exactly. yeah, video games, they're, they're a, a valid filter. And I wonder if that kind of pause thing is... I don't know, it's something that would actually become more commonplace yeah, in nightmares. It, That's it so be. interesting. I'd happily put myself up for an experiment. I don't want to you know, do that. Because, like, because I, I mean, I, I was playing Silent Hill and Resident Evil 1 and 2 when I was probably about 7, 8, and I don't, nobody come for my parents. It's a bit late to call child services. But I think that does have an impact on you. And especially when you've grown up with it like that that is yeah as you said that's how you perceive an exit that's how you perceive an escape and and it's i never really thought about it until i was older and i mentioned it to people and they were kind of like that's weird like cause i assume a lot of people may have had that but just me um i've yeah, never it's, heard it's it mad. yeah 
it's interesting. If anyone has ever had that, please message us and let us know because we want to know if I'm the only weird one here. <laughs> we need to know whether we need to do some form of experiment. Yeah. But anyway, so that was a tangent. Um, it, yeah, that, that's a scary mechanic. Yeah, it's interesting, but like really cool um, from a UI perspective for sure. Facts, I guess, I kind of explained one of them was just that there's lots of connections between the Necromorphs and quite a lot of film uh, monsters, one of them being the Xenomorphs. And then also uh, there's quite apparently quite a lot of um, comparisons between John Carpenter's The Thing because of the alien parasitic morphing nature that they both have. Um, and there was another couple that just for some reason it's just like all the alien tropes and all the like slight zombie alien tropes that's kind of in there which is quite cool it kind of feels like they've taken a lot from um pop culture and stuff and tried to combine them to make the grossest monster ever which i feel like they did pretty well yeah. um, and then the only other one which relates really a lot to your one nikki is that um the necromorphs um completely lack their human like former human genitals despite all of them being naked um people have said these are probably because they have uh taken anything that was like that and converted them into more useful like biomass hmm. during the transformation that's the kind of law that people are trying to put to it cool. um other people have just said well it's just the way of the developers not having all of these aliens with just like everything just flapping around <laughs> like scary and i don't think you know i think that's fair <laughs> that they did that which i think is quite common in a lot of um monster design is that kind of creating something that has a, some form of humanoid form but like differences enough to get past looking at it with no clothes on you know what i mean <laughs> protect their dignity yeah. <laughs> that's why they've done it yeah when i when i look at the necromorph i think dignified <laughs> it's true yeah unlike the janitor they didn't give him a little hat so you know <laughs> clothing and was not for them um but yeah that's kind of weird they're just they just creep me out but they're just very interesting um and the game is really good like i said it's just uh difficult if you're slightly wimpish like me yeah. um but yeah that's uh that's my number three i think two no, oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, what was that? I think, I think that was three. No, that was three, yeah. So now Phyllis number two. Three. Two? No, ah. Oh, three for me. But yeah, so it'll no, be two for you. Yeah. Oh, I'm lost. <laughs> it's Phyllis number three, Nikki, and you'll be number two next. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is why I was not invited on any uh, math podcasts. <laughs> Neither have we, yeah. <laughs> Counting to five, although it's entirely our podcast. Uh, it's topic. the entire yeah thing of our podcast is counting to five, and we can't even do that. Number three, Philip. Number three. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm starting to think we won't need the Beatle button, but uh, for my number three, I went with Baron Von Blubba from Bubble Bobble. And oh. I don't know how familiar either of you are with Bubble Bobble. I love Bubble Bobble. Thank Christ. Um, <laughs> because that is the right answer. Uh, but yes, for people who aren't familiar, um, and just to wallow in it with people who are familiar, the game is, it's adorable, it's cute, it's so colorful and bouncy, and the music is, uh, it, I think there's only one track through the whole game, and it's very upbeat. Uh, you collect these little delicious looking treats, and the goal 
is to clear every screen of enemies. Um, you trap them in bubbles and then you pop the bubble. So even the closest thing to violence in this game is adorable and non-threatening. Um, but then there's Baron Von Blubba. Sometimes there's names that are just I... like... <laughs> I will get into the name at least as deeply as I can, but um, Baron Von Blubba is, uh, he's like a bone white whale looking creature. Uh, he's obviously some kind of spirit or monster, and if you take too long on the stage, uh, I think the sequence of events is that the music will speed up, but you're still okay. And then if you continue to take too long, you don't finish the stage within that grace period, he shows up. And he'll just spawn somewhere, and he's misshapen and ugly, and he has these eyes that, they aren't circular, which is, for a, a character sprite in a game like Bubble Bobble, that is genuinely unnerving. He's got this warped mouth. Um, he, he looks like an intrusion from a much uglier plane of reality, kind of like maybe an 8-bit dead space. You know, somehow that game simultaneously loaded with bubble bobble and this does not belong here um if he he zeroes in on you so you it's not over when he shows up that that would be too easy uh you still have to complete the stage but he zeroes in on you and if he touches you you die immediately and while you can escape him by finishing the stage you now have to do that under extreme duress and it is um the root i think of all of my anxiety issues <laughs> i wanted to <laughs> give Baron Von Blubba a shout out as seriously one of the most, maybe not the scariest, but certainly one of the most tense monsters that I have encountered in a game. Mm, like the stress that he embodies. It's astronomical. Yeah. 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 yeah for such I, a cute game. I was going to say, I, I do remember that. Cause it's like that whole thing of like, you, you can never really feel that hundred percent comfortable because you've always got Baron kind of, <laughs> looming you know you know that he's he's gonna arrive soon and i think that that definitely makes you quite uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. so i do have facts none of them explain cool. varon von blubba's name but i did try because obviously it's like that's a very specific name it's not um i don't know it's not whale monster or mm. you know bony the whale or something <laughs> like baron von blubba is very specific and please correct me if i'm wrong but as far as i'm concerned it's obviously a pun it has to be based on something and you've got blubba versus blubber so that that's fair but baron von I, I, it's just not something you usually put in front of a character's name unless there's a reason for it so what i did i tried to figure out the answer i couldn't but i went to google and i typed in baron von and i let it propose maybe you know who what historical character or fictional character is this trying to draw a parallel with and the answer i think is still unfound but uh google suggested baron von steuben who is a a prussian and later mil uh, american military officer probably not him baron von ungern sternberg an anti-communist general sounds great but i don't think it's him baron von count which i thought was um uh mis misremembered version of the muppet uh mm -hmm. count von count but it wasn't it's actually a magic the gathering card so it's not that there's baron von munchausen a hanoverian storyteller none of this really fits the closest thing i think was baron von blixen finnicke 
He is a Swedish, or was, a Swedish nobleman, writer, and African professional hunter and guide on big game hunts. So I am not familiar with this guy, but if he is really associated with being this sort of, you know, badass, unstoppable hunter from, you know, a century and a half ago, then maybe that's what they were going for. It's quite fitting, I guess. Yeah, it's the closest thing, hmm, um, yeah. at least that I found. If, if you two are giggling because there's some obvious connection here that I'm overlooking, please do tell me because it um, <laughs> nearly drove me nuts. I don't I don't think so. I know that is, is he meant to be is meant to be a whale. Is that confirmed? Uh, he definitely looks like one. Yeah, I think he's meant to be right. a beluga. Because blubber would feel like whale. Because oh yes, blubber. thank you. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I quite like the idea of the other one though. Even if they didn't intend that to be a thing, I think it matches up quite nicely with your with your theory. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I think we can reveal for the first time ever on this podcast that uh, Baron von Blubber is based on Baron von Blixen Finica. Yep. It's a fact now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Actually, you know what? My my second. You, you would ask, oh, is, is he a whale? And uh, my second fact is also another weird sort of wiki thing. This one from Giant Bomb. They do describe him as a beluga whale. Maybe that's interpretation, maybe it's not. But they do describe him that way. They also describe him as a ghost skeleton, which I think is an extraordinary combination of words. Because... <laughs> <laughs> is that not like an oxymoron somehow? Like... Yeah, like I can't tell. Is it is it redundant or is it self-contradictory? And maybe it's neither. Maybe people use the phrase ghost skeleton all the time and I've never come across it. But it just, it seems like something's a ghost or something is a skeleton. Mm. Yeah, you don't normally get both. It's, it's very strange. Um, and my third fact, because that one will remain unresolved. Uh, my third fact is that before he appears, uh, the game in a, you know, chiptune, of course, uh, it plays a very similar sting to the opening of box Takata and fugue in d minor b w v 565 i don't know what that is i don't know enough about classical music to explain what those uh, letters and numbers mean but um that is the musical sting that in popular culture we sort of remember as being associated with bella lugosi's dracula when he appears you hear that kind of organ uh tune and when that's brought up back to the misinformation People will often correct that and say, well, that, that never actually happened with Bela Lugosi's Dracula. That's from Phantom of the Opera. And that is not wrong. But I dug a little further, and I realized that that is still not its first use in horror films. It was used in the opening credits of 1931's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That is really interesting. So there we go, yeah. Lots of things. I think of all my facts, uh, that's the only one that is actually a fact, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm, um... I'm just really happy that we have mentioned Bubble Bubble in the top five because I don't think I ever have, but it's one of my favorite all-time games. Like, it's, it's so got a wonderful. big place in my heart. Yeah. So I'm glad. Does That's that mean we're on to my number two? Yeah. Okay, got it right that time. This one might be a crossover, potentially. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I'm bringing up another Resident Evil game which is Resident Evil 2 and Mr. X has made my list. Mm. Not a crossover? Not a crossover, but I, okay. I'm, I'm moaning with uh, appreciation because that is a very good choice. <laughs> yeah. 
giving me nightmares, to be honest. Um, so I don't, you might be able to help me with this, but I'm not sure. But obviously people call him Mr. X, but apparently his name is also either T100 or T00. And I don't know the best way to pronounce his name. T100? Yeah, I honestly haven't heard it said out loud. Yeah. I think in my brain, I kind of hear it as T100, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I'll call, um, I'll call him T100, <laughs> I think. But yeah, I, I was like, oh no, I was like, I, I always get numbers wrong whenever I do do a top five. So I was like, oh well, we'll just go with it. So Mr. X is the easier way to pronounce his name, um, was in obviously the 1998 original Resident Evil 2 and then again in the remake, remake in 2019. Um, he is a tyrant and he was sent into Raccoon City during the 1998 Raccoon City destruction incident. And apparently one of six of the T-100 series and he was basically airlifted into the city and was given instructions to recover the G-Virus sample and kill any surviving officers and civilians found in the Raccoon Police Department. Um, and so obviously as Leon or Claire, you are trying to, to do stuff and you have him just looming and around and following you, which is incredibly scary and unnerving in both games. And I've tried to think back and, and figure out what I find scarier because he's slightly different in the original to the remake. Uh, and I'll get into the facts later about like what is exactly different. But I just think that just having something there on a map when you're trying to do solve puzzles, walk around, kill, kill zombies and to have something that you know is always potentially around the corner and following you is so uncomfortable. I don't know how you guys feel about Mr. X. I agree totally. I, I was listening with uh, rapt attention because you were putting it in words, I think, very well. And I don't want to say too much more before you get to your facts because you might cover some of it. But yeah, this was a, a fantastic choice. And I'm, I'm actually a little sad now that we don't get to play the, the Beatle clip because that would have been a good opportunity. For <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, I I remember it slightly from, from the original because I, as I said, I played it with my, with my family and stuff. And I know we played it through the first playthrough. And then I don't think he comes in until the second playthrough of each in the original. That's Could correct. be wrong there. Yeah. And so obviously in the in the remake, you get him no matter what. And so I don't think I interacted with him too much, but I'm kind of glad about that because I think that would have been too much for my child brain at that time. Because <laughs> um, he just like smashes through walls and, and, and everything like that. And I feel like it's one of the first mechanics in a game that was like that. I don't feel like there was many, obviously I know you get people like, you know, well, I say people like Baron, Flon, Blubber, can't remember his name, um, who could be looming and, and you know, you know that they're, they're ready to sort of pounce on you if you don't do something quick enough, but to actually have like a physical human, it's, it's kind of like that, but evolved, I guess, isn't it really? Like Mr. X is just, just another Baron Von Blubber, but in a different way, in a very tall, looming way. And he has a hat. around the corridor. And he has a hat, yeah. yeah. But actually, uh, I'm just going to put a fact in here because it's so hard not to, to just do my facts early, is he had a hat in the late one, but not the early one. So Mr. X was hatless in the original, but gained a fedora in the second one. For some <laughs> oh, reason. Wow. That's, yeah. This is one of those um, false memories, I guess. My, my brain must have rewritten itself because... Uh... I'm sure I knew at some point he didn't have a hat and then he did, but in my mind, I thought the original did have one. That's actually really fascinating. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, he, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was just bold. I've sort of, I did a few checks because I always thought that he looked the same, but God, you're right. no, I'm pretty sure that, yeah. And apparently um, the inclusion of the fedora was to emphasize its intended purpose or his purpose for covert operations. 
So if you ever want to know what's going to make you look way more like spy-like, get a fedora. Nothing says spy-like covert. <laughs> you can imagine the whole of like black ops just wearing fedoras now. Yeah. On secret SWAT missions. I don't understand the the decision really. I I, I don't know. Is it with the noir thing? I don't know. Uh, that's I think that's fair, like from a stylistic decision. Um, but you know, even with the hat, if we just accept everyone wears fedoras, so he'll blend in very well. He's still about eleven feet tall, <laughs> and a bit blue as well. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't know how gonna... much help the fedora does. No. <laughs> um. Yeah. So he looked a little bit different in the original, but he was still quite scary. He was also a lot taller in the original. Uh, a lot more. A lot bigger from what I remember as well like width wise in the remake he was made shorter I think just for to be more covert (laughs) (laughs) that's what they've said so he appears more human from a distance apparently but not up close because up close you just you're like oh I know you Mm. you're here to kill me you can't really do much against him right like he's one of these characters where it's just like he turns up you've just got to run so that's another one of my facts. Um, in the original, he has more of a tempered personality. So you can actually, um, like, kill him. Mm. Um, like, well, not kill him, but you can knock him down. And so right. he kind of, like, he's he's pissed off. and you, But you, you can kind of fall and then you can leg it and you can feel a bit like, oh, okay, it's fine. But in the new one, you can't really hurt him. He He might stumble a little bit, but he seems to be, like... I don't know, more indestructible in my opinion. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's he's nasty. And the one thing I have to admit about the remake is one of the one of the things that I do appreciate is they've really done well with the audio um, of his footsteps. Oh, and God, yeah. like even just playing, yeah, like playing it not long ago, just sort of walking around and just hearing like the thud, thud, thud. Like, oh, it just sends shivers down my spine. Oh yeah, I like because you can't really work out because he can just burst through anyway. You can't really work out where he's going to come from. No, it's um, it's just yeah, it it really kind of dips into that really nice sort of subtle, uncomfortable horror thing that we were talking about earlier. Like just you know, it is a bit annoying when you're right up close to him and he's punching you in the head. But those moments before where you're trying to like <laughs> like you're in a convenience <laughs> when you're trying to navigate away from him and and that moment you think that you've got away and then you hear that thud. It's it does it's very clever and it does it really well. And I know that um, they have they did take it very well from the original to the remake. Um, I I don't necessarily like the fact that they didn't give you a choice to have Mister X um, like they kind of did in the original, but. I guess it kind of brings a new level of fear to the game. Yeah, it was. Um, I remember playing playing the original that, that would have been years ago, of course. But I, I remembered very specifically that you would not encounter him if you didn't play the B scenario. You know, one character and yeah. then the other picking up. You know, following your save. Um, so when I played the remake, I had not seen, and maybe I'd seen an E3 trailer, maybe. So I didn't know much about what I was going into with the remake, and I remember specifically playing that for the first time. I was Leon, and uh, I'm in the hallway where the helicopter crashed, and you see Mr. X pick up the helicopter, you know, demonstrating his strength, and I thought, oh wow, this is really cool because um, they're they're foreshadowing. After I finish Leon's campaign and I come back as Claire, I'm going to have to deal with this guy. So they're just kind of showing me that he's here and he's scary. Yeah. Uh, and 
you know, kind of thinking I was in a safe little cut scene and he walked over and he punched me in the head. And I think I had the most, <laughs> I don't know. It was, just, there was just so much, um, fear that I felt at that moment that, uh, I have not felt in horror games for years. It was so confrontational and, uh, it, it did a number on me at the very least. Yeah. It, it stays with you for sure. <laughs> he, um, you, you don't forget him. <laughs> I I do have one, well, I have like one last fact because I sort of intertwined my other facts um, within the conversation. But apparently, this is, this is in regards to his nicknames, the earliest nickname in official media was Mr. X, which was chosen by Toy Biz for their Series 2 action figure. So it seemed that that name came from um, this sort of first action figure of him. Uh, apparently as well, there was also the pocketbooks novel Resident Evil City of the Dead, which has Claire Redfield pick Mr. X as a nickname. There's also a list of names such as Frankenstein's Monster, Terminator and Dr. Evil. But other names, supposedly, that have come up in sort of media um, of names for Mr. X are Coated Bastard or Trenchy. <laughs> I like both of those names. I might go with Coated Bastard. I, I think I'm in the Trenchy camp on this one, but they're, they're both very good for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. They are. And it's interesting because obviously, like, I don't think Mr. X was necessarily an official name. I think it just sort of, I don't really understand, but that's apparently where it came from. Um, but maybe it's because T100 or T100 is a bit of a weird way to kind of, to call them, especially, yeah, it's not, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It's also quite close to Terminator names, right? Like, yes. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is. I guess that's kind of a bit of an inspiration, I suppose. I mean, it's not confirmed. This is not a confirmed fact, but I feel like if he was to have any inspiration, it probably would have been from Terminator. Mm, yeah, that moving, just confidence, like, I'm just going to keep coming towards you because you can't injure me with your yeah. pew bullets. Yeah, know. he's he's a scary motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if anyone else has much to say more about Mr. X, but I think that's that's what we've done. Nice. No, I mean, I don't. I just know him as scary fedora man, so. It's interesting that you mentioned... Um... I have not thought about this before in my brain because, you know, Tyrant T100 or whatever the heck he's actually called in the game. Um, you know, Mr. X just, it fits better, whether that's from an action figure or a book or whatever. I can see why that would be applied to him throughout all media because it's, it's easier to say and remember, but mm. Resident Evil overall has, um, I shouldn't say has, because maybe this has changed a little bit. Um, but at least in the beginning, it's monsters were, uh, very simply named, and they were named with very evocative terms, like uh, the Licker, or the Regenerator, or the Hunter, or the Tyrant, or Nemesis. Like, all of these things are just, they're, they're words that we already know, and if that's all we know, we have a sense of why we should be afraid of this thing. And, uh, yeah. the yeah, Tyrant T100, or, like, that, that, that doesn't really fit, and it's, mm. Mr. X sort of does, because it's, it's humanoid, and it's, um, it's something we don't understand. Like there, there's a mystery yeah, behind this guy. So it's actually kind of surprising to me. Mr. X, I think is the better name. And it's kind of surprising to me that Resident Evil, the game isn't what stumbled upon it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I think that, you know, Mr. X, someone with a name like Mr. X would definitely wear a, a fedora. So I think it's all, it's all come full circle. It makes sense. Covert operations only. Yeah. But no, I, I think great great design character, great mechanics, and uh, I think all in all, good good monster. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So that means we're on to uh, your number two. 
my number two, and uh, it, it won't compete. That that's a, that was a really great choice. Um, but my number two is the ghoul from Fallout. Ooh. So I, I will stand by this as a monster, but but I will have to stumble through a very difficult explanation because, um, well, I, I guess I'll put it this way: ghouls in the Fallout series they're they're zombie-like monsters, and they they roam destroyed America, uh, savaging innocent people, and you know tearing them to tearing them to pieces, and at the same time, ghouls are human beings who have uh, just been deformed due to high levels of radiation during a war they had nothing to do with. So a, you know, the, the term ghoul describes both of these very, very different kinds of characters. Uh, there's obviously horrific, monstrous ones, and there's just really tragic, unfortunate people. And I found that very, very interesting. The first one, the first Fallout game that I played was Fallout 3. And I think that's, that's common. It was... Uh, the series had been dead for a long time, and then when Bethesda brought it back, I'm sure they knew they'd have a lot of first-time players. Uh, the other obvious starting point would have been Fallout 1. What's interesting to me in those, looking at those games back-to-back, is that they introduced ghouls in different ways. If you started with Fallout 1, you met monster ghouls, fear ghouls. You met ones that would attack you, and you, you have to shoot them or leave because you can't reason with them. They are just beasts. Uh, and then you would meet the friendly ones. And in Fallout 3, it's the other way around. You meet the friendly, uh, oppressed ones that are treated like garbage first, and then later you meet the monsters. And the reason I find that very interesting, and I am going to apologize in advance because this is, it's not an easy topic to talk about, especially off the cuff, and I am not a sociologist, but the reason I find that distinction interesting is that I think each of the games in its own way walks you through a kind of personal bigotry. So in the first game, you're attacked the first time you see ghouls and you fight back. And later you're going to meet friendly ones and probably have your finger on the trigger. And it's up to you to sort of realize these aren't a threat. I have incorrectly learned what I'm dealing with. And in Fallout 3, it's sort of the other way around where you naturally feel bad. The first ghoul you meet is uh, uh, sort of an indentured servant working in a bar and he's really sweet and everyone treats him like garbage and it's it's awful and it's unpleasant and then you go out further into the wasteland and you encounter the actual monster ghouls who are killing people and you realize that uh god these things have killed families these things have killed friends and these things have invaded settlements so you almost understand why uh people are hesitant to accept civilized ghouls into their society and i'm not at all saying that what the game is doing is uh you know teaching you that sometimes it's okay to be a bigot i think that's exactly the opposite i think what it is teaching you though is that you can stumble into bigotry probably more easily than you think and uh the games do really well with that they don't even balance it in a way that all of the friendly ghouls are genuinely good people because they're not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there, there are still ones that, you know, they'll manufacture drugs. There's one in Fallout 3 that will give you for um, uh, very selfish and incorrect purposes, you are deliberately misled. There is a, a friendly ghoul who will give you a series of hits on targets that he wants you to go out and kill. And he will lie to you about why these people need to be killed, but it's really just because he's a shit 
and they all have you know keys that if he can get his hands on the keys he gets some treasure so uh, it, it's a very it's an interestingly wrinkled situation where it is not even as simple as well ghouls are nice and i accept them and i will listen to them and you know be happier for it because they will lead you into danger just as much as any other human would and i don't know i bethesda in uh for, for very valid reasons most of the time they get shit for their storytelling abilities but man with uh with certain things in fallout with ghouls and with the vaults with certain things i just think they hit grand slams so yeah my my number two is both a monster and a tragic figure yeah i think that's so interesting like i never really thought about it in the way that they've introduced it before or or how you're introduced to ghouls between the different games but you are right it's interesting it almost tests the way that you are thinking about this particular type of, of person because it almost sort of forces you to differentiate between like what you've seen out there and what you're seeing and then come to a conclusion and and to look at your biases kind of thing because initially you might be sort of like you know as you said ready to to shoot but then it kind of takes you through this journey of, of understanding and sort of differentiating and, and trying to, to get it. So when I first played the games, I was really confused. I was like, well, you know, what's happening? Like, why is there some that are nice? Why is there not? And and sort of getting to the bottom of understanding, because it's, it's obviously, it's it's a quite an interesting story with like nuclear atomic bombs and everything. But yeah, it just almost like forces you to, to sort of look at stuff within the game, but then also, I guess, at your, your own self and how you perceive and how you perceive things. But yeah, so it's such an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's also such an interesting thing for a video game as well, because I think it's such a rare thing for video games to play on that subject at all. Like, if they introduce you to something that you would perceive as a monster, like, in the game, that's it. That's, I mean, how often do you find things that aren't, like, major characters that you can have that are also nice but also can attack you? Like, it's very, very rare to find that thing where someone can be good and also nice, other than humans. Because <laughs> right. you know, a human is like naturally like that. You can have good humans and bad humans. But in games, if you're introduced to something and it attacks you, that's it. That that's all they like. That's all you get from that one particular monster or creature or uh, whatever. But and then you don't see them wandering around a town being nice. Very rarely. I think maybe in The Witcher, I've seen it a couple times around things like trolls. Yeah, I think you can get some nice trolls. But even then, they're more like yeah. they don't seem advanced enough. They're not clever enough to be i don't know there's something weird different about them it's mm, very, very, very interesting i guess fallout has done it a few times though because i mean if you think about like the super mutants um like you can get one as a companion can't you for forks and initially you're like holy shit super mutant like this you know he's talking to me and and then even becoming your best friend and i think yeah, i put him like one of my favorite companion lists before and it's that whole kind of thing where i think yeah i think they do do that a lot i think they sort of try and make you question the way that you perceive a sort of species or person yeah i agree and i think um with super mutants maybe to a lesser extent only because there are fewer like friendly ones that you encounter um but i still think it does the same thing it, it sort of um it discourages you from thinking about things in terms of larger classifications where it's just uh okay super mutant bad ghoul bad human good and yeah it's, uh, I don't know, it's just this really effective way of doing it um, with the ghouls. And I think part of that is that if there's a super mutant and he's friendly, like Fox is a fantastic example. Um, he's friendly, but you've been fighting super mutants for the whole game, so you pull out your gun and you shoot at him. Fox is fine. 
Yeah, <laughs> like he's he, the guy's a brute, and he probably maybe he'll be upset, maybe he'll be sad, and you'll hurt his feelings, and that feels bad. But he's not really in any danger. He can fend for himself. And ghouls, uh, as as enemies, like you, you you wipe them out. They're not they're like goombas. You you just slice them to pieces, and they're dead. And if they're good friendly ghouls, you slice them to pieces just as easily, and they're dead. So. In that case, that moment of uh, acting on the bigotry, where you've got your finger on the trigger, it really does hold somebody's life in its balance. You yeah. don't have the chance to shoot and then realize, whoops, very sorry, Fox, I thought you were one of the bad ones. You know, you, you instead yeah. you've killed somebody. Yeah, for sure. And I'd say as well, feral ghouls just in themselves uh, have scared me many a time. Oh my God. Yeah. When I've been like <laughs> in a vault or somewhere like underground and you just hear like, the noise that they make, they are in themselves the fair ones, but obviously not the normal ones. Because I I love the the friendly ones, and I can't remember the guy, but he wears like sort of that colonial hat. I can't. What was his name? Uh, the fourth one. Hancock. Yeah, Hancock. I love I love him, and but yeah, like actual feral ghouls as an enemy are quite creepy. So that was my um, yeah. rambling explanation of ghouls. I do have. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> I do have a a couple of facts. Um, one is just maybe more of uh, just something I thought about when writing this. And that's that I was looking at all these examples of ghouls and how they affected me and so on and, you know, uh, raised and then challenged a sort of bias. And I realized that not many of my examples were coming from Fallout 4. And I realized, I think, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think where I'm landing on this is that with 4, they sort of ditched that aspect of the ghouls overall in favor of spotlighting the synths because they raise very similar um, questions about yeah. them, about, uh, you know, well, do we classify these things? Are they a danger to the wasteland or are they, I shouldn't say people because biologically they are not, but do we just accept them as individuals and let them lead lives? And it's, it's still a really good question. And I think Fallout 4, it has a few faults, but overall it does handle that pretty well. But I find it interesting that in the case of both the synths and the ghouls, uh, it's mankind creating something, intentionally or not, and then hating it. You know, it's like they, they sort of created their own monster as though there's not enough misery in this world already. It's true. Yeah, it's just it's just such an interesting way that they've done things. I mean, I've always been a, a big Fallout fan, um, and yeah, I think I think you've summed it up really well. Yeah, Fallout is one of those games where I I struggle with it just for the mechanic of, of it, but the the world building in it I'm really fascinated by, which is one of those reasons I think why I keep um like I keep getting the games even though I don't get very far in them because I just can't deal with being that open sometimes. Um it's just a random thing with me. But I'm really fascinated about all the world and like you said, especially the idea that you have to treat uh other species other I guess than humans i guess girls are humans but you know what i mean like uh, as right. individuals rather than uh, yeah. a global thing that you have to either like you said put in a camp and then leave there um and yeah like all the things with all the vaults all the different types of vaults you find and the people in them and like you said ghouls feral ghouls running around them and you're like are you a friend nope nope you're running at me okay <laughs> yeah that's that's actually really interesting too i struggled even consciously uh, with this minefield of an entry, you know, creating a distinction between ghouls and humans 
which you just <laughs> which you just mm -hmm. did too and that's in itself i think sort of instructive if we're aware of that because uh if any of the three of us on this call had some sort of horrific accident with radiation and you know ended up looking like a ghoul i don't think anyone else would say well that you know this person's no longer human now we yeah. will call this person a ghoul but <laughs> but the games do a really good job of making it easy for you to separate them out and and then have to challenge that bias um yeah but my the only real fact i think i have for them is that again bethesda people sort of complain about what they've done with the lore or they say that you know okay they present ghouls this way but it contradicts the way they used to be portrayed and i all you know that's fine people can have discussions and uh, they may be constructive however what i found is that the original developers of fallout just the very first fallout they couldn't even agree on what ghouls were one of them uh tim kane he just said that ghouls are people they they were exposed to radiation and here they are and Chris Taylor, another developer who worked on the game, he believed that ghouls were created through a mix of radiation and the forced evolutionary virus, which is what gave us super mutants. So to one of them, ghouls just happened, and to the other, people created them. Uh, so I think if the original developers who came up with these ideas could not agree on what these were, we can forgive Bethesda at least a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. It's also now bringing up the idea of like, are super mutants technically kind of human? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't even like, thought about that until now, but you're right. I guess that's a that's an even stronger bias than I realized I had. I guess that's I, yeah. I think it's the way you're introduced to things, right, as well. like, And I think zombies are the exact same, because uh, you treat a zombie like a zombie. Like, it's a, right. it's a thing, but it's technically just a dead human mm. reanimated. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a very odd distinction I think that we make in our brain sometimes with with monsters and creatures and things. Monsters are people too, I guess. Well, some of them are. <laughs> That's what we can take away. From <laughs> some of them definitely are. <laughs> Understood necromorphs. That's just uh, it's just human. Yeah. Spider queen. Were they technically humans? Sort of. <laughs> exactly. There's a hole. There's a hole somewhere that I feel like we're gonna fall into. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. Good entry. Cool. Thank you. So, are we on to our number one? Yes. We are. Are we going to do any honorable mentions? Or... Oh, um, I yeah, we can. I them just in case. Oh, I... awesome. Okay, yeah. I don't have any, so um, you go ahead. Uh, I don't think I have any. Let me double check. Do you want to go first, Philip? Because I've, I've got a few. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, my honorable mentions... Um, the Shadows from Deadly Premonition. That's that probably should have been my answer before when you said, oh, what other old horror games do you like? Deadly Premonition uh, nice. is a game that is really not good in any sense of the word, and I love it, and it's very effective. <laughs> um, Sin from Final Fantasy X, but you'll have to wait for my six-volume uh, treatise on Final Fantasy X to learn more about that. Yeah. The Spider mm -hmm. from Limbo, which <laughs> is self-explanatory. Um, <laughs> and I have also branched a little bit um into a cheat i think the witcher and that might be a cheat in several ways because it he didn't originate in games he originated in books that's fine um and he, also he's not really a monster the way we think of monsters but he is a monster you know he, mm -hmm. he's a mutant and he has these superhuman abilities and if you are on the receiving end of a witcher you will absolutely see him as a monster uh so i thought that was that was neat enough to include as an honorable mention. 
Yes. It's a cool one. Okay. Shall I read mine out? <laughs> my list? Yeah, <laughs> Long I, list. Found, I found my that I buried. So ah, okay. So sort of going on from The Witcher, I I played that not too long ago and I, I just became fascinated with the monsters from the game. Well, this is The Witcher 3. Um, and so I wanted to include just a couple from there, which is uh, the Cursed Mother and the Brood Mother from... Sorry, not the Brood Mother. Uh, Cursed Mother. I think there's like a, there's a swamp one as well. I can't remember her name. Um, they're like the kind of Banshee-esque enemies oh, that yes. you come across. Absolutely terrifying. Um, and more from The Witcher as well. It's the crones. They are oh. horrible. <laughs> they are horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and another one I wanted to mention as well was Clickers from The Last of Us. And to go on from the Fallout pick, I also wanted to say Death Claws for me are, are quite terrifying. So that ends my list. So nice. you're bigoted against Death Claws. I am, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure there's actually a nice one in one of the, in like the second game as well. So I should really check my check my bias there. Yeah. <laughs> go have a conversation with him about it and see if you can grow. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Um, so my extra ones that I've managed to dig out was um, The Thing in the Mist, which is from a game called The Moons of Madness, which is kind of like a Lovecraftian adventure on Mars. It's a pretty good little weird indie game type thing. Um, the, again, more witness stuff, but I love the rock trolls. I know I just mentioned them a little bit, but the rock trolls are some of my favourite uh, creatures. Um, and the Floormaster from Zelda, because that oh. absolutely terrified me as a child. Like, yeah. the Ocarina of Time was fine until the Floormaster came. <laughs> and I hated it. I couldn't deal with it. Um, so, yeah, they're cool. All of the honorable cool. mentions. Right, so that means we're on to our number one. So, yeah. Steph, do you want to do the honors? Okay, I could do the honors. Um, our number one is The Witch from Left 4 Dead. Ooh, good choice. So... I think it's fair to say this is one of the games that we've played together quite a lot. Uh, yeah, so right. it works quite well as our joint number one. Yeah. I think we both came together and absolutely being terrified of this lady. This particular one. Uh, to give a little bit of a backstory behind the game, it's um, published by and developed by Valve. Um, it's kind of like a first-person shooter survival horror kind of game. Um, you can play it as yourself, but you can also play it as a co-op or online, which is mostly, I think, how I've played it as co-op. Um, with people. It's set during the aftermath of a zombie apocalypse in which you play as the survivors. Um, I think we've spoken about our favourite uh, term of Bill, just the word or the name Bill being said is one of our favourite things about this game. Um, I think, I yeah, it was It was because, I can't remember who it was, but someone always said Bill in a certain way that just tickled us. I think it was like, I'll try and do my best impression, Bill. There you go. <laughs> Great. It just so therefore we love Bill after that. Even though it wasn't Bill who said it, it was just we just enjoyed Bill. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, all the Left 4 Dead zombies have like interesting character design. All the specials anyway. Like there's the common zombies who just wandering around normal looking zombies, and then there's the special ones. And the witch is kind of like a special, a special one. Yeah. Um, the, the the witch. I think she would be rare. Like she wouldn't always be on every level. But it was the way that she would. So she sits dormant until startled by sort of loud noises or bright lights but you just hear when you first sort of come across her you just hear crying um sort of distressed female crying and to hear that is in itself is like incredibly uncomfortable you don't know where it's coming from you don't know what it is and uh and yeah basically if, if she gets startled shit is gonna go down yeah and one of the things that sets her off um 
is torches, torchlight. If she gets exposed to any light in the game, she kind of goes on a rampage. The problem with that is, is quite a lot of this game, some of the big areas of the map in which she tends to, um, you tend to find her, are in complete darkness. So you're just kind of trying to navigate your way through this. Um, and then you can kind of hear her crying. And your idea is you have to turn the torch off. But at that point, you're basically in the pitch black. So you can't really navigate. So it's kind of a weird game of, uh, trying to navigate your way through by turning your torch on and off, but without getting close enough and just pointing it straight at the witch accidentally and setting yeah. her off in her crazy rampage. It's it's the pressure as well as obviously having to sort of protect yourself from the zombies that are potentially around you, while also navigating her and like being crouched down. And sometimes you'll be with people that aren't necessarily that good at being quiet, especially if you're playing online um, or with friends. And so it's this sort of like immense pressure of just like, don't wake her up, don't wake her up, don't wake her up. And uh, and if you do wake her up, from what I remember, she screams very loudly and will chase you, all of you, or maybe just probably just select one of you. And just she just grabs you, right? And just ravages and kills yeah. you. Yeah. So you have this whole thing with it where it's like you are in different stages. Like, so you're either up, you're, you've been knocked down and you need someone to come and rescue you, pick you back up, or you're dead pretty much. Um, and she will instantly hit you down to the point where you're on the floor. Like, that's it. You're floored by her. And then she'll kind of continually like, jab at you with her really long fingernails we haven't really described what she looks like she's kind of a very thin small woman um in like very tattered white kind of clothing with blonde hair that just kind of a bit like the ring where it's just over her face constantly yeah um, and then she's got very very long almost knife-like fingers and that's what she kind of uses to like slash at you so she'll just kind of like sit on top of you and slash at you until someone shoots her enough to kill her or I think she, if she murders you, she'll run off. Um, but if you kind of start attacking her and she realizes you're attacking her, she'll go after you as well. She doesn't really stop at one. Most of the yeah. time you will do, but sometimes you can get her to attack like most of you, which in itself is quite creepy. She takes a lot to take down for such a small creature as well. Like there are other big zombies in this game. Like there's a big thing called a tank who's huge, um, but he doesn't do like half as much damage to you as she does. Um, mm. which is quite scary I would think yeah I think as well that for me it's like for her it's the mechanic it's the whole having to be quiet so she doesn't see you it kind of reminds me of that whole like playground thing when you were a kid I don't know if it was um if you had anything like this Philip growing up but I always had this game I remember where like someone would stand up against like a fence and you would have to all like slowly creep towards them and every time they turn around like you'd have to be like really quiet and I feel like it plays on that trope of like you know what I mean like you, you don't want to let them see you and then they when they do see you like it I don't know it's just that whole I don't know if you know what I mean I thought you were just going to describe a really horrific playground game that you've played. No. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I think it might be, like, What's the Time, Mr. Wolf, or something, where, like, I don't know, like, some... I, mean, I can't even remember the game now, but it's just the weird thing where you basically have to hide and manoeuvre your way around somebody without them seeing you, so you don't move. Like, you know, you're manoeuvring around a dinosaur, and if you move, they'll see you. It's that whole... You know, it's like that whole thing. thing. I think it's called as well. I've taken a long time to get here, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one person's like not looking, and then suddenly they look at you. Have to stop moving. Yeah, yeah, you have to get something like that hand to them. But it plays on that, and that's what just just freaks me out. <laughs> I thought we were just going to see a very insight again to your psyche, Nikki, which is always always fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, she uh, she does this. Although I have a feeling. I mean, we played this game a lot when it kind of came out, um, and as a group. And I think eventually she became kind of a bit of a joke with us. 
we've kind of managed to turn her i think our collective terror of her um constantly killing us eventually we managed to get her to a point where she was a bit of a joke and i think it would be kind of a game of like who's gonna set off the witch and then who's gonna sometimes you throw something to, to, so that she attacks someone else in the team yeah like you get you'd be near a car and then you'd be like purposely set it off uh, someone else got like attacked by her um which is a little bit more fun but in general <laughs> she was pretty fun which is actually an interesting thing about her um that i like always used to find was that in the game all the zombies used to be really attracted to anything like car signals or stuff like that so if a light went off or a car alarm went off all the zombies would gather around the car and start attacking it like stupid mindless things going after some noise but she would ignore it like if in fact if you set it off she'd purposely go after you for setting it off she'd be like no you've disturbed my slumber now i'm coming straight for you um i think it was always interesting because she had her own set of like rules that she followed that none of the other zombies seemed to have yeah. like she'd just go for whoever annoyed her or i think even you could set her off by like looking at her through a sniper rifle scope and if you looked at her for long enough through it like she would notice and get angry and come back um yeah she was just always like it, like you said you were always constantly looking for her because you needed to find out where she was to avoid her because i think even if you got too close to her for too long you'd set her off but it would be that weird balance of i want to know where you are but i can't directly look at you because i'll annoy you and you'll run at me and kill me yeah philip did you ever play left 4 dead ah i did and (laughs) well i just i just had an experience and i'm going to share it with you because i (laughs) i have not played left 4 dead for many years i got it with my uh, xbox 360 whatever year that was it was one of the few games i i bought with it and I enjoyed it, of course. Um, but now you, you were describing the witch, and I'm thinking I, I'm, I'm having emotional memory rather than visual memory, probably because you can't look at her, or, you know, engage with her the way you do with the other zombies. So I figured, let me look her up real quick to refresh my memory of what she looks like. And Google auto completed. I typed Left for Dead Witch, and Google added fan art, and I didn't realize that it added that. Oh. And I found a lot of very sexy left for dead which is <laughs> i was not really expecting that yeah um so i just I, I needed to drag you through that mud as well um but yeah god the witch it, you're right that all of the left for dead zombies kind of have their own um uh, approaches and then they're memorable for different reasons but the witch operating by her own very distinct and very different set of rules really does make her stand out and i will take this opportunity maybe it was uh one or both of you i don't know but i will take this opportunity to apologize to anyone i've ever played left for dead online with because i i would always set off the witch always and (laughs) not intentionally it's just i was either inept or not paying attention to the right things uh if someone else set off the witch great but if they didn't i was guaranteed to do it so i absolutely apologize to anyone i've ever played that game with (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well but that's kind of okay though because if you're the one who sets off the witch she goes for you so it's just kind of like <laughs> you know what i mean it's sometimes worse sometimes she might get confused <laughs> go somewhere else yeah it was more because we used to play it like we said and just like purposely try and get somebody to like accidentally take it instead of you like just run behind somebody although apparently she will shove people out the way to get to you so oh okay stand in her way long enough and then she's like oh screw it i'm just gonna attack you instead now 
but yeah, she's she's an interesting character in his own in in Left 4 Dead. Like I said, there's all oh, there's quite a lot of cool zombies in there, but she's definitely got her own little little fan. Apparently, no yeah. fan art as we've uh, as oh, kind of yep. going, so. an abundance <laughs> of it. Yeah, if you need something to do with the rest of your day, I never expected that. Yeah, I guess it's fan art for everything. Yeah, rule of the internet. I think. Um, so I've, I we haven't discussed our facts, Steph. I've got I've got one. Um, oh, okay. I've got quite a lot. Not, I've got two. All Sorry, right. I lied. Oh. Um, my first fact is that apparently the witch's choir has often been used in many TV shows. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently it was used in Ghost Adventures, which doesn't surprise me, and also an Adventure Time episode. And and yeah, those are the two that sort of stuck out in my head, but I just thought they were quite interesting because it, it is quite a demonic cry. I can kind of see it. I don't know how it got into the Adventure Time episode, but I can understand why it would be used on Ghost Adventures. Yeah, to be fair, I also had this fact, and one of the ones I really liked that they listed in was uh, A Thousand Ways to Die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. May I, I, ask... I, had. I don't know if you had... Sorry, go on. <laughs> I, I'm so, I can't keep this one this is asking you know word sexton to say resident evil i need to ask this question um you mentioned ghost adventures and uh what was the other one adventure time adventure time yeah and and you said okay i can see it being used in adventure time or uh or, or i'm sorry you, you said the opposite i i can see it being used in ghost adventures i yes. can't so i'm asking for more context because as far as i'm aware ghost adventures it, like it it tries to portray itself as being real yeah <laughs> so i know it, we're all adults here so it's it is probably not real at all but like what would make them use a video game noise I... if they're trying to make it look real so i i have to admit I, I haven't really addicted to ghost adventures like i don't necessarily like believe that it's all real at all i think that a lot of it is all staged but sometimes what they do they have like almost little like cutscene type things where they might they actually get sometimes get actors to just do it'll just be like little scary clips to almost like imitate like a story or something that's happened and sometimes i've heard them using like they'll use quite scary imagery quite scary noises just in between segments i think to build some suspense so i'd imagine that's when they used it uh, i can't okay. imagine them ever being like like just can you imagine if you're watching it and they're like shit guys did you hear that and then suddenly you hear the witch noise and they're like whoa and we're all like hey guys we know that noise you can't fool us familiar. yeah so i think i think that's how they would have used it okay I'll, I'll i'll accept that thank you for that context <laughs> that's okay <laughs> Um, what was your other fact? Oh, my other fact was just that apparently the witch really likes sugar. Oh yeah, I had that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, not even that she likes sugar, that she likes the smell of sugar. Yeah, she... Sugar. There's a campaign where there's probably about 15 or 20 of them, which sounds really scary, roaming around a sugar meal, uh, meal? Mill? Or a meal. A sh- <laughs> sugar mill and a meal. Um, apparently that's just like where they like to be, which is a completely pointless fact unless you're playing Left 4 Dead in this current day and age. Don't go near a sugar mill. <laughs> I really enjoy facts like that because it's it's um, from knowing some of the jobs that exist in the video game industry, like that's fully possible that it's someone's job to come up with law like that. Like there's, there's law masters for games, which I find fascinating. Like the whole job is to know and to work out like the law of of this video game and this world and stuff and i just enjoy that somebody's being like i'm gonna write this one loves the scent of sugar yeah that's a good, that's a good <laughs> one. job done for the day you know what i mean it's just such an interesting thing that someone's written but yeah that's all that's all the facts i got so what, what did you get um so i had those two and then i've got two more um so apparently originally the witch was going to attack an entire group 
um, like after being startled. Um, so not just to go after one person, it just ravaged your entire group. Um, but apparently they deemed it too difficult as she would basically just wipe out an entire group in one hit with no issues. Um, so they just made it to one to one person. Um, but I feel like she does attack more than one sometimes. So I'm not really yeah, sure. I think she does. One. Um, and then the other one was uh, not a great fact, but um, you stole my sugar one. So I've gone with uh, the witch... Um, Apparently, will kill other common infected, so other like normal zombies, when covered in boomer bile. So boomer bile in the game, um, if you've not played it, is basically like one of the zombies will spit out this um, substance that will make the zombies go crazy and just attack um, whatever it is covered in, whether it be the floor or a person. And apparently, if the witch gets covered in, she'll just attack anything that's close to her, uh, including other zombies. But yeah, that's me. That's my fact. Cool. I think uh, that ends us nicely with the witch. Yeah, I can put her to bed now. <laughs> so to speak, with that fan mm-hmm, art. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, that that was a, that's a really good number one, I think. Thank you. How about um? How about your number one? My number one is not miles removed. Um, it's also from a Valve game, and I don't think you know people hear Valve and they, for the most part, they think quality stuff. But I don't think people really think horror. And both of us have put. Valve characters at number one. Mine is the head crab from Half Life. Mm-hmm. I wonder nice. if I was going to mention this one. <laughs> I hate these things. And, it, you know, like in a case like The Witch, um, you know, or some of these other Baron von Blubba, of course, everyone's favorite, um, <laughs> you hate them because they're difficult uh, or, or they have, you know, some kind of gameplay um, quirk to them that interferes with the way you'd normally be playing. And that's not the case with the head crab. It's just the concept of these things. From the very first time I encountered them through today and, you know, the rest of my life, I'm sure, they're horrifying. Um, if anyone's not familiar, Half-Life, of course, people are familiar, but still, um, you're on Earth and there's an alien invasion, you know, through a kind of dimensional rift, but aliens invade Earth and the head crabs are these little things, um, they look kind of like a roast turkey and... <laughs> They might <laughs> might even be the same size. Uh, that does actually seem about right. And yeah. they just kind of scamper around on these pointy little legs, and they're you know a little more nimble than they look. And they're fleshy, so that might be a bit unnerving. But the thing about these head crabs is that on their undersides, they have a really large mouth, and it can fit an entire human head. So they leap up and encompass your whole head. They surround your head. And this is, I'm going to tell you the thing that unnerves me the most and you know, you're just gonna have to live with it. They have beaks. (laughs) So um, I have a personal thing with sea creatures and beaks. I don't think they should have them. I don't think there's any need for it. And I know head crabs aren't sea creatures, but crabs are. So the, the association in my mind, it's awful enough. And then you picture what's happening when the head crab goes on someone's head. It's not mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, chemically or through hypnosis or something, they're controlling their brain. It is literally a beak that is burrowing through their skull and like chewing on the brain. And it is just the most awful thing imaginable. And mm-hmm. so that's the head crab, but it doesn't stop there because what happens is they create within the game what's called head crab zombies. And you hear zombies, uh, you know, the the word zombies, and you think, okay, I know what that is, as we've discussed. This is a reanimated human being. 
but it's I think a misnomer in this case because those people aren't brought back to life. These are living people with a parasite that has a beak eating their brains and they're uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you see you you see zombies in other media we've all seen zombies movies and stuff where um a survivor sees a zombie and they go oh no that was my brother or that was my wife or my friend or, you know they have this response where i knew that person and it's not this person anymore and i'm really sad and mm -hmm. in this case you'll see that but it is still that person this is the person you used to know this person is not dead this person is just moaning and shuffling around in agony and yeah, zombie in this case, I think actually undersells how horrific that is. And that in itself, I think is kind of impressive. Yeah, yeah. these, yeah, I'm with you. They're horrible. And I think they just like, they're already horrible, but things that jump at your face Ugh. are always just not fun. Like they always bring up memories of watching like Alien and you have the, mm -hmm. the egg implanters. Um, and I hate those things. And this is exactly what that thing always is. But well, to a worse, like you said, to a worse degree, because it stays there. Um, and just constantly, oh, yeah, I'm with you. They're horrible things. It's, it's the fact that, it, yeah, it's, it's on your head. And I think for me, like, I'm quite a claustrophobic person. So I really just hate the idea Oof. of just having, like, anything like that. Like, the things that even just, like, bugs on my head. I just get really, I'm just, nope, nope. Out of that so yeah for me like i completely agree head crabs can can do one <laughs> <laughs> well said but that is also interesting because you're right i think we do have this um i don't know people won't like getting bitten by an insect no matter what but the face and the head everything around that area is so important you know your eyes and your ears and your mouth and the brain obviously that yeah i do think you have this sort of additional and, and completely justified reaction to something that leaps at your face or adheres to your head. Like this is, this is worse yeah. than just being unpleasant. This is worse than just being something that might hurt or kill me. This is in the one place where I really don't want this to be. And it just latches on. Yeah. Oh, I'm having horrible flashbacks to just like <laughs> playing this game and then just jumping around at you. And there's more than one as well. Like, it's not like right. you just kind of come across them singularly they were always just scuttling around and in groups and gangs yeah they're definitely gangs that is yeah. the, that's the word we're gonna <laughs> apply to these things yeah um so those the, that's the head crab i do have some mm -hmm. facts nice the head crab thanks to half-life 2 episode 2 we learn that the head crab weighs eight and a half pounds and to put that into perspective a human head weighs, you know, around 10 or 11 pounds. So if you have a head crab on your head, your neck is supporting almost double the weight it was designed to support. So just for one other degree of discomfort, I wanted to bring that up. Ooh, wow. Awful. Like, yeah, like, I hate these things. I don't even know why you made me talk about them. So thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do have one other that is not related to a wiki, but it feeds off of it. So to go back to some strange wiki stuff, on the Half-Life wiki, it specifies that the head crab is edible. And that is, oh. yeah, cool fact. But then it continues, <laughs> at least to a Vortigaunt, which is another alien. And, okay, now that's fine. But is it really, like, is that a fact worth sharing, that one alien <laughs> can eat another alien? If <laughs> if a human could eat it, that's that's fascinating. You know, that, that is a cool bit of Half-Life lore. But, yeah. um... Like, so in another galaxy right now, theoretically, there's an alien 
and he learns that on Earth, uh, a wolf can eat a chicken. Like, yeah, that's, that's I mean, not technically really. Technically, <laughs> anyone can eat a head crab. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess you, because you can eat, you can eat a piece of wood, if, if you exactly. really want to. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like the food chain. Mm. You know, they're just saying yeah. the food chain exists on some other planet. So that that's a very strange <laughs> fact to yeah. me. I don't like that one either. However, it does lead to something I think is a little more interesting. Uh, speaking of the food chain. So in reality, parasites, which a headcrab basically is, um, parasites behave the way they do because that, that is how they survive. That's how they get their nourishment. And uh, that's fine. Uh, it's not fine, but whatever. <laughs> the head crab, however, within the games, we have learned that head crabs can survive indefinitely without a host. And the reason we learn that is because in Half-Life 2, Dr. Kleiner has a pet head crab. He has removed the beak. It's horrifying in itself. But um, the head crab pet survives on watermelons. He just gives them watermelons, and it sits on the top, eats the watermelon, and it's fine. Oh so the head crab is a parasite by choice. And I just, I, I really want to bring up how much worse that makes this. That, like, on some <laughs> level, instinctual or not, but on some level, the head crab enjoys burrowing into the brain and controlling things rather than just, you know, eating fruit. He, it could be a vegetarian, but yeah. it chooses not to. It chooses oh, not to be. It's just, it's that much of a dick. <laughs> Man, yeah. I mean, in that case, I'm kind of glad that they're being eaten by some other <laughs> alien species. I'm yeah. now picturing this kind of like almost red lobster on some crazy planet of just head crab. <laughs> like <a> sea. <gasps> head lobster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're like, come and eat them because they're dicks anyway. You know what I mean? Like, that could be their headline. That would be an excellent tagline, and I would eat there. I, I, even if I hated it, I, I would do it just to make a point. Yeah, it's fair. I think you've made sort of a good argument here for why these guys should definitely be number one. Yeah. I feel like I need to go, like, I don't know, cry or drink a glass of wine. <laughs> I, I knew, and maybe I was wrong, but I had the feeling that this would be an uphill battle. For number one, that I would say, oh, head crabs, and you say, oh, those easy things. Who cares? Get off my podcast. Um, so, <laughs> so that is why I did prepare an argument on this because I needed you to feel what I feel when I encounter oh, a head crab. Definitely, definitely oh, no. do. We're with you. We're with you with that one. Yeah, it's a good pick. Well, that I guess brings us to the end of all of our lists. We've discussed many monsters. Um, None of which I think have been nice. Particularly. No. Maybe Boo, I guess. Even, but even then, we discussed the menace that is yeah. underneath. I think I need to go watch a really happy movie. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> go watch something really like animated. Yeah, but it was really good. It was really yeah. good. And thank you so much for joining us, Philip. Oh god, yeah. thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. No, it's our pleasure completely. Um, obviously, we very much recommend. Uh, reading or try and get hold of Philip book when it's out. Um, do you know when it's out at all, Philip? Uh, specifically, no. It will be next month, which I guess depending on when you're listening to this, I'm speaking of August 2020. Um, so if you're in that time frame, it's available. You can get it from Boss Fight Books currently. Uh, you could just go there and pre-order it, basically. Once it is out, you can get it through Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble. Uh, in, in the UK, I have to admit, I, I don't know what like the major bookseller would be, but any major bookseller will have access to it. 
Cool. I think water stones and stuff is our big one. Oh yeah, I have heard of that yes. actually. Yeah. Um, awesome. And if they can, I wanted to find out more about uh, you in particular, uh, Philip. You run uh, a Twitter noiseless uh, chatter. Uh, yes, if you um, go to Twitter, to Facebook, even to Google, and type in Noiseless Chatter, you'll find me. Um, I've got a blog under that name as well. And uh, yeah, sometimes I, I write about happier things than we discussed today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only uphill from uh, from headcrab, yeah. I think you can say. Uh, Nikki, if they want to find more about us and our podcast, where can they go? Uh, they can go to gametool5.com or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at gametool5. And if you want to support us and get more of like content, we did like a drunk Patreon episode the other day, uh, you can go to our Patreon, which is at gametool5. Um, so you can go check that out. But yeah, I think that's that's all of our socials and I think we're all monstered out. Yeah, thank you again for joining us. It's been really good fun. Um, and thank you everybody for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.